Hello and welcome back to We Heart Hartnet, the podcast that explores the filmography of one of the great actors of our time, Joshua Daniel Hartnett. I am one of your hosts, Patrick Willems. I'm the second of the hosts. I'm Jacob Torpy. And this is Matthew Torpy. And it is a Saturday morning. We are tired and chugging coffee right now. And today, today, guys, we're talking about a movie that was a big deal when, when we were just boys. By mm. boys, I mean just a child. 17-year-old boys. We're talking about the 2005 Robert Rodriguez slash Frank Miller flick, Sin City, also known as Frank Miller's Sin City. That's right. The trailer to this movie contains the name Frank Miller multiple times. Yeah. Well, we know that Robert Rodriguez really wanted, he was active in making Frank Miller as much a part of this as possible. Because he was a huge fan of the source material. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into the whole genesis of this project and how yeah. it came to be because it's it is a, a pretty fascinating just how this came together and also how where this movie stands in the the history especially in the past 20 years of comic book movie well comic book adaptations yeah right yeah. because this obviously comic book adaptations are such a major part of film and tv right now yeah and i think this was pretty pivotal it, it was and in its own way still kind of like unmatched except for obviously its own sequel but i still don't <laughs> think there's been another movie only quite, one thing can destroy yeah. sin city and that's sin city to a dame to kill for <laughs> which is just the plot of the first movie essentially i mean has any have either of you guys seen the sequel i haven't no no, no. actually we're yeah we're speaking from a place of ignorance <laughs> uh well because it, it also it it came out Way later than it should have. It came out like a decade after the first <laughs> Seriously, one. Yeah. A confident move. And this, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, from what I remember, I know now we're going to talk about the sequel and we're just getting way too far ahead of ourselves, but because I was a big fan of Sin City in high yeah. school. This came out, I think, um, junior year for Matt and I, junior year of high school. Yeah. And it was like March, I think, two, February or March 2005. Um, I'm looking, yeah. Yeah, March twenty, March two thousand five, and so I was excited about the idea of a sequel. And I remember for the titular dame, mm -hmm. uh, they nice. they really they they were talking for years. Uh, they had lined up Angelina Jolie to play that character. Nice. And then they were kind of like wait. I think she was like first she was pregnant, then she was like making something else, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna. Then she was maleficent. And then she was maleficent. Three years of her life. And but I remember that was a holdup for a while because they were like pretty ready, and I I, I was following the developments of it closely, yeah. and then it got to the point where I didn't hear anything for a while, and I stopped caring as much, and then eventually the movie happened, and I didn't see it. Dame Judy Dench, can that you imagine if that was the Dame for? to kill for? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just Judy a bunch Dench. of grizzled men being like Judy Dench. <laughs> 72 years old. <laughs> An ass you would kill for. <laughs> and eyes that would make you do things you would never even tell your priest. <laughs> Speaking of which, that's what the dialogue of all of this movie sounds this like. This is a, uh, it's essentially uh, amongst the, you know, I guess three main male actors. Right. Mickey Rourke. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. And Bruce Willis. Bruce Will. Yeah. yeah. I will, yeah. That's... That's and I guess I could also just honorarily add Benicio Del Toro. Um, yeah. In terms of all of them, except maybe Clive Owen, are just competing for who can have the most gravelly voice. Mm -hmm. And I 
think that Mickey Rourke wins. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think the order goes, if you want to include Josh Hartnett, too, who also narrates the beginning and end, I think Josh Hartnett, least gravelly voice. He's right. got a silky smooth voice, yeah. but deep at the same time. I don't want yeah. to let that be lost. Mickey, Ro- oh, sorry, uh, Josh Hartnett, then Clive Owen, well, then Bruce Willis, and then Mickey Rourke then Mickey wins. Rourke. He takes the number one because slot Because it's, it's Mickey Rourke and his voice, I mean, it's not like his a throat Nick- got punched. Right. I mean, by he, boxing. He's no he Nick Nolte, box. But, but no one's Nick Nolte. No. Right. And the all-time... Unofficial winner by a landslide, Paul Schrader. <laughs> you hear that motherfucker talk? He's I, I don't know loose gravel in his throat. It's nuts. Just rocks bouncing around. Just wet rocks. It's <laughs> so he sounds so gross. I, I hope he makes a movie starring Nick Nolte and the two mm. of them go on a press tour together. Oh my god! And, and just be like gurgling. The audience his ears bleed. Yeah. <laughs> it just but, sounds like a. a, a, a Shoot, what's that Pokemon that's a big blob oh, uh, of slime? Graveler. Graveler. Yeah. Of course, oh, that's what I was thinking. Or it could be... Sorry, I, just, I don't know why I just thought of coughing. Yeah, oh, he's got you. a gravelly voice, like the way he says yeah. his name is. If they gravelly. were married. Coughing. So guys, since we're, we're, we're drinking coffee right now, mm. I've probably mentioned this to you before, but a thing that I do without thinking about it, and I have done for years, <laughs> whenever I... Whenever I'm usually alone in my apartment and I, and I pour a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. I just go, Coffee. I just say coffee like coughing the Pokemon, yeah. and I, I just yeah. do it almost every day. It's good to broadcast <laughs> things like that. Exactly. Well, hey, you can actually... I, I, I've actually t- I've tweeted that before. Okay, okay good. And then yeah. a bunch of people faved that tweet. That's and then up. someone showed me that... That's a bunch of other people that do you that, You can too. actually get a coffee mug that is mm-hmm. designed to look like coughing the Pokemon. Oh, so there's yeah, there's a whole. So it's not just me. Crew out there. It's, it's not just me. Yeah. I'm, well, not, I'm not weird. I'm normal. If, <laughs> yeah, Everyone no, does it. You're actually normal. And cool. And uh, I just, because like, uh, as Comedy Bang Bang has showed us, the endless, really great comedic possibilities of just saying words wrong and making an entire apparel line and merch line out of mispronouncing things is, is, is just endless. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It, it can be done. But so, we should talk about this movie. Because, and okay. this, this is also, this is a, <laughs> it's a weird one because... Our boy Josh is barely in it. He bookends it, it. He bookends it, but he is on screen for... Four minutes tops. Yeah, I was going to say, like, not Maybe. even five minutes. Yeah. But he is also a vital part of this movie's existence. Right. He is so essential to the movie, despite barely being in it. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's represented almost, like, metaf- metaphorically by how he frames the entire film. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and this is also... This is important because this is the first time Josh has reteamed with the director. Because uh, this, is, this is a Robert Rodriguez flick, as we mentioned before. And Rodriguez directed The Faculty, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which we still hold as one of his top performances still, having it, gone through his movies up to this point It's one of our favorite Josh far. joints. Yeah. One of the best movies in the lineup so far as well, I think. Yeah. It's just, I would agree. It, yeah. It, it's fun, and it accomplishes what it sets out to do. And it's also, we talked about this in the episode, but... That is still, I believe, the only studio, like regular hired gun studio film Rodriguez has ever done. And I'm kind of fascinated by Rodriguez. He was a hero of mine in high school. Rebel without a camera? Uh, Rebel without a crew. 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 Yeah. His without book, a camera? Without, 
he, he thought he was filming stuff. <laughs> the book about making a movie with no camera. But he was an insane person. I mean, really, yeah. I mean, that's handicap. a great book, though, because, I mean, I, the what, the part of that book did that you read it in high me, school? I did. Yeah. And uh, I always loved the fact that he would subject himself to different medical trials in order to get, like, whatever the... The budget for the El budget Mariachi? In order to make El Mariachi. Well, he'd sell his blood and shit? He'd for... sell his blood. He would take trial pill tests. It's a th- it was, it was a thing where you would, you would go group. and stay in this facility, yeah. mm. and they would just test medicine. I mean, it, it seemed like it was generally pretty safe, but it was a thing that most people wouldn't want to do. Right. But he was like... You know, fuck it, whatever. They'll they'll pay me, and it seems relatively easy. And plus, I can hang out there and like write the movie while I'm yeah. there. Well, when I was hard up, like early on living in New York, I uh, I got on the uh, email list for one of those like Columbia University, like cocaine addiction studies or whatever. Oh. Yeah, where like or like I did a sleep. I signed up for a sleep study and a cocaine addiction study, and I still get uh, emails from them. Being like, we're doing it again. <laughs> like, didn't you? Did you figure it out yet? Whatever you were studying, it's like. Uh, so, wait, so you're saying that we could all do this as like just a fun just exercise together? Income. I've also thought about blood donations and sperm donations, also to make money when I like had none. This sperm is all donation like, seems like such a. That's a little like you're scarier. like asking people to do something that's like totally not asking a lot out of them. I always and in wondered, some cases probably asking them to do something they would really do for free. I'm always worried right. that someone would I just like so someday like I'll get a knock on the door and I'll open it and it'll just be me. <laughs> they'll mean, have cloned me, me and then they just shoot me and, and like dispose of my body. You mean you'll get delivery manned? Yeah, that's right. Remember the, the Vince Vaughn film where he donated a lot of sperm? Well, I mean, like the the fun. Uh, the and then fun he had version, a thousand kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the fun so version, dumb. sort of, is to get the kids are all righted, mm, and then yeah. the di- more difficult version is to get delivery manned. Right. <laughs> Those are two different consequences of sperm donation. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I. But if only you had eggs to give, because that's where you get the big bucks. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, but that's an invasive procedure, and you know, the, yeah. And I mean, and look what happened to Jupiter and Jupiter Ascending when she tried to donate her. Pe- eggs. People don't gladly shoot eggs out of their body. Gladly. <laughs> yeah, Jupiter Ascending. Wow, that's that is that is there sperm donation in that? Movie? No, no, no. Um, she was gonna donate her eggs to like. Oh, oh yeah. And then, and then it's then the people at the facility are like aliens and they're gonna kill her. And then, and then <laughs> oh right, it's and, kind of awesome. And then Wolfman yeah. Cetates busts in and blasts them all. Yeah, he's like, look then, at my rocket boots. Hop on. Yeah, and then she jumps on his back and they fly away. And then exactly. he's like, I'm part dog, and she's like, I've always been sexually attracted mm-hmm. to dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's torn between him and Sean Bean, who's part B. Exactly, pa- Sean Bean. <laughs> and Eddie Redmayne creates life. And destroys life. Oh yeah, I create life. Yeah. So um, let's talk. You want? Let's mention. Uh, Robert so this is Rodriguez so so, so, this so welcome to uh, <laughs> our, our, our our we we regard Redmayne <laughs> in high regard. <laughs> That's such a bad title. I was struggling so hard. Like, okay, okay. Ver, ver, verbs regard verbs, Redmayne. Verbs that with, with we R. really relish Redmayne. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a podcast. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie to go. Uh, I don't know, but no. Okay, so ready. red mainlining. Ooh, yeah. not not bad. Right. Jake always with like always honing in on the, mo- the, the, the just a pearl of an idea. I think oh, I think the listeners are loving this episode so yeah. far. We've we've been on topic so much. So this is this is Sin City, and this <laughs> is. <laughs> Okay, we, I was talking about Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. So and Robert Rodriguez, uh, his career because he was an 
one of my main inspirations and like filmmaking heroes in high school. Right. Because, you know, obviously like a lot, I mean, it's a pretty cliche thing for young high school filmmakers for his book, Rebel Without a Crew, which is about how he basically like started his film career doing everything himself with no money. Right. That was like my Bible. I would, I'm right, reading you're like, that in high school and like that was, I pulled so much inspiration from that and like I'm doing that, I'm reading that book my senior year of high school while making a no budget action comedy feature <laughs> film. You need the comfort of, of having a precedent of someone who's famous, right? At right, the yeah. To be like, like, oh, I can do it this way. I don't need a bunch of money. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it can work and Rodriguez has a funny career and it's been funny how, to me, how I've, he was such a big deal to me in high school, and I have just steadily lost interest in him mm. over the years. But The Faculty is his, you know, hired gun studio film. He didn't write it. He right. was brought, this was after From Dust Till Dawn, mm-hmm. and after, which was after Desperado, which was after El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. And after The Faculty, there's, that's the, the shift in his career, because then that's when he pretty much begin kind of retreats to Austin right, and yeah. starts making all his movies in his backyard. Right. Because, well, his next movie, 2001, was Spy Kids. Yeah. Which, and yeah. that started that well, whole thing well, off. Well, sort of. Spy Kids actually is surprising. Like, it, it's still shot on film. It was his last movie shot on film. His last movie where he's not his cinematographer, Guillermo Navarro, uh, who is Del Toro's main DP. Was the cinematographer on the original Spy Kids? Yeah. But he who, he also shot from Dust Till Dawn. Wow, so okay. two Guillermo's, huh? Yeah, uh, Del Toro works with Navarro. That's cool. And, uh, Dave Navarro, that is was a guy. Another Navarro. <laughs> and but so Spy Kids was in two thousand one, and then there, then the following year is the shift. Mm-hmm. Two thousand two, Rodriguez was basically okay. Remember, it's, I'm going to tie this all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones was the first major film shot on digital video cameras, not okay. film. It shows it. That movie looks pretty ugly in <laughs> retrospect. And George Lucas was basically brought in like all these major directors and was like, guys, look, digital cinema cameras. This is the future. This is what everyone should be using. And pretty much everyone was like, no, that looks bad. But Rodriguez, <laughs> because he was always into doing things cheaply and quickly, and 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 like you know, getting cutting down on the hassle of, right, of filmmaking, yeah. he was like, I'm into that. I like it. That's what I'm going to do. And so Spy Kids 2, 2002, I believe that was the Island of Lost Dreams. Uh, no, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you about to read them off? Yeah. Well, yeah. So no, Spy he... Kids 3, th- sorry, Spy Kids 3D, game over. Thank you. And in 2003, there was one Spy Kids movie a year. Yeah. And uh, for three years. And then Spy Kids 4, which is the time travel one. All the time in the world. All the time in the world. He took a big break, though, between Spy Kids 3D and, and that and one has doesn't, doesn't have most of the original cast. Right. The parents in that are, they grew are Jessica Alba and Joel McHale. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember that. And Jessica Alba, relevant to She's Sin in a City. lot of Rodriguez movies. But so, yeah. 2002, Rodriguez shoots Spy Kids 2. He's his <laughs> own cinematographer. Yeah. Doing that for the first time since El Mariachi. And that, that I beginning, believe, was the beginning of the... The credit on his movies shot, chopped, and scored by Robert <laughs> Rodriguez, where he like he shot it, he edited it, he and he did the music himself. A cool way to say it. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. But then and and, the, it's and like he Spike shot Lee joint. You know? And he shot yeah. that on the the Sony Cinealta, uh, I believe like F nine hundred was okay. the camera at the time. Okay. And and then two thousand three, he made both Spy Kids three and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, also shot digitally, same thing. 
And then 2005, there's Sin City. And so this was... And The Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava, Lava Girl. Girl. Don't forget that yeah. one. Of that course. came out the same year. Of course. Starring young Taylor Lautner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and this, this was the shift. It was really when Rodriguez jumped on the the digital cinema train. He, like one of the first, pretty much after George Lucas, the first person to jump on. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you mentioned that. It made me laugh because I was thinking about that scene in uh, Jerry Maguire when Tom Cruise is trying to recruit people after he gets fired. <laughs> and I was just seeing it as George Lucas, like, who's with me, guys? Come on. And like the entire office is full of filmmakers that just stand silently and awkwardly. You got like James Cameron and Steven Spielberg <laughs> yeah. and they're like, Come on, guys. Who's with me? <laughs> and then Bridget Jones raises her hand. <laughs> Bridget <laughs> Jones. Robert okay, Rodriguez Robert with his cowboy hat stands yeah. up. Yeah. I'm with you. And then she brings whatever, like her one... Goldfish. Yeah, her one goldfish. No, it, it's... Uh, actually, in that scene, it's it's Jerry Maguire who goes over and takes the goldfish himself. Oh, okay. Great scene. <laughs> okay. So anyways, Robert Rodriguez is... Uh, that's actually a, that's a yeah. perfect analogy. Thank you. And yeah, and, and Rodriguez, he, he starts... He, he pretty much is like, okay, wait, I can, I don't need the studios. They, they'll give me money to make the movies, but I can do it all myself now. And I think the problem with this for me is that that led to a just a decrease in his ambition, as he basically just starts making movies for his kids, which are like Spy Kids or Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And it feels like they wrote the script a little bit. Well, I, I think actually his kids have at least story credit on a couple of oh, these seriously? movies. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Sharkboy and Lava Girl? I mean, come on. No, no. That I, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty positive that Sharkboy and Lava Girl is actually based on an idea by one by, of his sons. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then, and then he pretty much just starts making kind of, you know, cheap, intentionally schlocky, like, Grindhouse B-movies. There's obviously like Planet Terror, but then there's like the Machete movies and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And that becomes Rodriguez's thing. And of course, what's really interesting to me is that in the past two years, that period of his career is over. Because I, don't, I have no idea how this movie is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. But Rodriguez's next movie coming out at the end of this year is the $200 million James Cameron written and produced Battle Angel Alita movie. Yeah. yeah. Where, where Here he, titled as Alita colon Battle Angel. Yeah. And, you know, that the trailer, weird to me. I know Matt's a big fan of the source material. And, but, yeah. And, and it's like, I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but I think it's really interesting that Rodriguez has now taken a, a hard turn. He's working with James Cameron. Uh, he is not his own cinematographer. I looked this up. Uh, this movie is shot by one of my favorite guys, Bill Pope, the yeah. guy who, you know, shot. The Matrix, a lot of Edgar Wright's movies, a lot of Sam Raimi's movies, the Freaks and Geeks pilot, like one of the best DPs around. It's a huge budget movie. And finally, Rodriguez is like, okay, wait, maybe I want to make real movies again. Well, think about it this way too, right? You're saying Spy Kids, his own children have writing credits in them. They were probably young at the time that he's making this stuff. You could also, and who knows, maybe we can get Robert Rodriguez on this podcast and talk to him too. Yeah, Robert. So why don't you pod. come on as well? Despite, despite my criticisms, Robert, you were a massive influence uh, on on just my career, and I I would love to talk to you. Maybe but his I could son's see a weeb now, and he's reading <laughs> Battle Angel. I could see him like making the decisions based partly in the fact that he's like, I want to be home for my kids when they're at this young age, that and now that they're like eighteen, nineteen, like you know, they've grown up since that was the also past the period decade. where he cheated on his wife with Rose McGowan and then they got divorced. Oh, well, I didn't know that. So, sorry, everybody. That's awkward, too. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, his wife was his producing partner for years. Oh, right. In, but the, actually, in, in terms of their children? Actually, no. But she, it, <laughs> Weirdly, she still... I was looking at this last night. Come on. She still actually it, it does have a... 
is is a producer on his movies after they got divorced. So I, I don't know what okay. went on there. Oh, you think they stuck around and like worked professionally together and like were civilly? I mean, good on them if that yeah, if that worked for them. I mean, hey, Gail Ann Hurd produced Terminator Two, and uh, she and James Cameron got divorced oh, while right. making The Abyss. <laughs> It's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> His titles are the uh, what should be called marriage, the fucking abyss. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a movie about a divorced couple basically like reconciling, and and he he and his wife, the producer, are like their marriage is just dissolving. While the movie is happening, <laughs> I could just see him That's filming great. that, and he's like doing this scene. They're having like a little argument, and then he he's like, "Okay, action!" They do like this beautiful scene where this marriage, like these two people, are reconciling together. And then he turns back around to his wife, and he's like, "You look like the water thing, like the weird, stupid <laughs> waterhead that I made. You're dumb. <laughs> You're a waterhead." And she's like, "Shut the fuck up!" And he's like, "No, no, we're shooting the movie right now. Come on." Dude. I know, and and so. <laughs> anyway, this is all a big way of saying Rodriguez has had this this odd career where there was this this period for. About 15 years or so, where he was basically just making movies in his backyard, doing everything himself, doing them kind of che- like cheap, like I guess sort of fun movies, but not especially. He, he st- stopped growing as as a filmmaker or like as a storyteller. But if you asked him, he would probably say otherwise, because I remember reading something about Robert Rodriguez where, I mean, his genuine excitement for this technology, right. I don't think he would, you know, like maybe people looking at it from the outside would be like, he kind of just retired into a giant warehouse with green walls <laughs> and uh, shot movies there. But I remember he was like on record somewhere saying like, look, this is the technology where it's like, you don't have to worry about lighting anymore if you want to place a light on the side instead of getting it all set up and wasting four hours trying to get it perfect. You just put that light in after the fact. You want to put your characters in a submarine and send them to space or whatever? <laughs> I, I, I like, read this exact same interview super last night. Quickly. He's like, the ease in which you can come up with the most creative ideas well, is like now at your fingertips. You're, you're totally right. But what's funny but to me... But then he makes Sharkboy and Lava well, Girl. What's funny <laughs> to me about it is that... And they look crazy. I guess he was ambitious on a technical level, but yeah. in the way, again, and it's funny because now he's working with James Cameron Right. James Cameron would pioneer new technology, but he'd use it to make, you know, Terminator 2 right. or The Abyss or like just Avatar. Or, Avatar. Or, or Titanic or Avatar yeah. are these movies that, that weren't just ambitious on just like an effects level, but were like huge ambitious movies just in general. They mm-hmm. were they were on a, he was working on a very big scale. And Rodriguez is sort of he's using these these new cutting edge technologies. But just to make like silly little movies for his kids, right? Which is kind of funny to it's chill endearing out in a way. It's yeah. in, it's super endearing, even but, though I don't right. like those movies. I just thought it was funny how you know Isn't George Lopez in one of them is like a, he's in all of them, a computer <laughs> yeah. head or something. I'm sure he is. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, he is. They're like nightmare fuel. Those movies. I remember <laughs> they're like it. sickeningly like weird looking and bright and uh... and then because after the first one, because the first one is shot on film by Guillermo right. Navarro, and then they just become these plastic CGI nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I think what, what Pat, you're saying kind of is that like he became someone to write off, it felt like, because 15 years is a huge stretch of time. Yeah. And like you become that guy. And like he might have had an enthusiasm for the technology, but it was for the reasons you stated. I mean, through reading Rebel Without a Crew, you, you know, he, he has this sort of work ethic and, and uh, filmmaking ethos where he's like cheaply, like let's not mess around, like let's get it done. But... The way he's describing the joys of whatever digital green screen filming is is all, it's all like cutting corners. Yeah, what, just got you know, like if you can't, if you don't have to place lights and it takes four hours for you, then you lose. 
it's like any other technology that makes like music production easier, filming. It's like you lose the constraints that like force you to be more considered. Well, thought, thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. Um, what I actually think, and as much as I compared him to James Cameron, what I think is actually the more apt comparison in terms of filmmakers, especially of the same generation, is Steven Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. Because Soderbergh, who calls his things experiences, right? He does. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh. Another the Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh ex- experience. experience. Yeah. Well, because if you look at Soderbergh Steven during the same Soderbergh. period, Soderbergh was also one of the, not as early as Rodriguez, but he jumped on the digital filmmaking bandwagon. Mm-hmm. A couple pretty, years after Sin City. Yeah, and he's also, he's the only other filmmaker who uh, shoots and edits his own films. That's But true. for Soderbergh, who also, who he is constantly, in a way that Rodriguez isn't, he's being, ambi- there's an ambition on the storytelling level. Yeah. And, and there's... Um, there's an experimentation in terms of the, t- the types of movies he's making, the types of storytelling that he's doing. And for him, the digital stuff, the, this new technology, was, was basically just a way to work look, a way to work faster and to right. be able to be more productive and try new things. But, yeah. it, but he kept, kept, it kept seeming like he was like pushing forward with it. And with Rodriguez, it was, it was almost like he got the new technology and then sort of stopped trying as yeah, hard with each movie sank deeper into the couch in his living room right <laughs> well, well you've got Soderbergh who's like great now I have these digital cameras that are really lightweight I can like run through the jungles and make Che so here's my question then about Robert Rodriguez because it seems to be the outlier in this time have either of you seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico yes. and is that yeah. movie in some ways at least like a taste of what he had used to do in the 90s um, that, I know it's the Johnny Depp movie that sort of hails back to Desperado and El, Mar- El Mariachi. I mean, but, it's, um, it's the third movie in the trilogy. Right. So is that movie kind of a return to form? Or did you could you sense like some of the things he had learned while making the Spy Kids movies somehow get inserted into the <laughs> trilogy in, right at the yeah. end? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen that one in years, yeah. but I saw it in theaters. Right. I remember really enjoying it. And, uh, and I, I, I had the DVD in high school. Mm-hmm. But that's also a funny transitionary movie because it's still on practical sets. And it's still very much made like Desperado was. Right. It's just that it's using digital cameras. The, the, there's no CGI backgrounds in okay. that. It oh, was, oh, sorry. Also, unlike Soderbergh, who again like you know took risks and was it seemed a little more serious in his subject matter and things like that at least weirder too like um rodriguez was always kind of bombastic and and like his subject matter was always more like fun and action filled and things like that which that's just his leanings you're right which is just his like yeah his taste in general as like a guy which makes so it makes a lot of sense also you know his famous friendship with quentin tarantino another overly enthusiastic man-child in some ways, but, <laughs> right. like, but, visionary. But, like, so it makes sense that, like, he would love Sin City yeah, and want to make that. It it so obviously seems to appeal to both the fact that he's now got this new green screen digital stuff to work with, and it's just the tone of it is, is seems exactly like something he would like. It would resonate with him. Oh, right. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, so we should talk about just how this project came to be. Yeah, and the one little Josh Hartnett prologue, which sort of sets the movie in motion. Well, that's a key thing. And so can I Go for explain it, yeah. what Sin City is just because... Oh, the comics? Yeah. Please. Yeah. Okay. I've never read them, so... So I'll... I have, they're good. I'll yeah. get into Frank Miller himself more, like, probably later on in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I've got, I've, I've got a lot to say about Frank Miller. I mean, of course, he's one of probably the five most 
important and influential people to ever make comic books. Mm-hmm. And but in the early 90s, Frank Miller basically decided he was done doing work for hire stuff. He was done at DC and he had been done at Marvel for a while and he was so big that he could do whatever he wanted. And he decided to, at Dark Horse, do these original series just in this world called Sin City that would be basically short stories they originally serialized in in the book Dark Horse Presents. And then they would be collected, each in separate books, with titles like The Hard Goodbye and (laughs) That Yellow Bastard Mm -hmm. and The Big Fat Kill and A Dame to Kill For. And and it kind of, with Sin City, it it was a, a way of just... He'd always been into uh, noir and crime and these classic tropes of, of just, like, gritty crime fiction. Mm-hmm. And with this, and, and, he, and if you look at his art style, you know, he was always into, like, really stark, high-contrast images with, like, with a lot of... He always liked to experiment with black and white stuff. And here's a question for you that'll probably annoy anybody that really loves these comic books. Frank Miller draws them, too? Yes. Okay, thank uh, you. Frank, See, I didn't know. I've no, never Frank, read these. Yeah, yeah, you know? Fra- m- uh, most of Frank Miller's stuff he he wrote andrew so Good. like his, okay. his daredevil run he wrote and drew that uh i mean that's always so much more impressive when you find out somebody yeah you know, uh, he's, he's like a really talented a guy on a lot of yeah. like he, and he oh, got he, starker as he progressed yeah too. i mean like dark Knight returns he wrote and drew that but also like he only wrote batman year one he wrote daredevil born again gotcha. but uh but yeah he was always a great artist and okay like, and also like had a, a very a, immediately iconic art style and with sin city he basically kind of doubled down on all on both the his storytelling thematic uh interests and also the way his art style had been leaning and so he made this comic that was almost like the it was an exaggeration of noir it was everything was was big was starker bigger more over the top the the drawings look like almost as if they were (laughs) black pages where he just chiseled away like bits of white it's, they look like negatives a lot of the time yeah it's it's just like like really thick bl- like black ink and then with, with pieces of white to just with, with these a lot of figures cutting through like jagged rain he doesn't use a pen he uses a chisel and a hammer pretty much <laughs> Feels like I he gets mean, black it's... pages from the depths of hell yeah <laughs> and he just chisels yeah. images into these him. comics look incredible yeah and like it, it takes place perpetually at night, right? Uh, and so, and and they're just the they're basically him taking sort of like like Mickey Spillane type like mm-hmm. crime stuff, but taking it further. Everything is bigger. Everything is more extreme. The dialogue is more hard boiled. And he did this whole series of these books, and you know they've been reprinted countless times. You can go to any bookstore and and, and pick up any one of them, and they'd. And they were pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the, the 90s were also a funny period for Frank Miller. Like in, I believe, 98 was when he made the graphic novel 300, which we'll also talk about 300. And but so he had this whole body of work. This, and this was kind of pure, unfiltered Frank Miller. Not, it wasn't him doing Batman. It was just, this is Frank Miller's brain. Straight from the heart. Straight from the heart. Yeah. And, and of course, and, and, and Rodriguez being a hip guy who like, likes comics and stuff like that. He was a fan. You could see him reading them while he's shooting El Mariachi yeah. and Desperado. Like, he's just like, oh, this is sweet. I need a little break from filming today. And he gets in his trailer and he's just op- cracks open, like, whatever the latest issue of uh, yeah, just the Hard Punch or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Donkey Punch. <laughs> whatever that episode's he called. He made the movie Donkey Punch, yeah. <laughs> of course. Anyways. But so, 
and then in the early 2000s, Rodriguez, especially I think when he was beginning to get into the digital technology and trying to see like what could be done with it, he was like, hey, I bet there's a way to, and, and I mean like as much as I'm talking about, oh, Robert Rodriguez not being ambitious, this is a pretty ambitious idea to be like, hey, what if we could take these comics and produce them completely, like exactly like panel for panel, shot for shot into live action film yeah. and use this new technology to have these, that create these super stylized images and make live action movies look exactly like these comics did. And that is where we get to our boy Josh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you thought we weren't going to talk about him, oh, maybe. Yeah. Because he's not in this movie a lot, but no, he's also not. Frank Miller had been he famously kind of like his, uh, his, his, his peer and contemporary Alan Moore, uh, Actually, Miller even first was burned by Hollywood because Miller was hired to write the screenplays for RoboCop two and three, and had an awful experience. Uh, disowned the movies. Apparently, they were changed so much from what he he wrote, and hmm. was like, "I'm not working in Hollywood again. I'm not licensing out the stuff that I've made to Hollywood. I just don't like that place." Yeah. And then Instrals this dude with a big cowboy hat and cowboy boots. Exactly. And he's like, "Look, your most favorite comic that you a ever 10 wrote, gallon hat. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to make that." Yeah, and so I what? made Spy Kids. <laughs> you can look. This at is my, my resume. Work. <laughs> if you look at my resume, uh, I could see why he would be hesitant. For you younger listeners, Matt just made a reference to Homestar Runner. Google it. Yeah, and so to know your history, kids. <laughs> Flash animation giant HomestarRunner.com. If you enjoy us, then you need to see what shaped us, and that's Homestar Home Runner and one Strong Bad And Homestar, to a lesser degree. Yeah, yeah so. he was raised by a cup of coffee. <laughs> Forgot about that. so funny, funny stuff. Uh, it's Damn. But so, to, to, so Rodriguez made a pitch to present to Frank Miller to, be, to basically try to get the rights to Sin City, and so he made this little test short film, which became the opening scene of the movie. He yeah. brought in our boy Josh and Marley Shelton, <laughs> who he would reteam with in Planet Terror. Yep. To, because while there were the main Sin City books, the main stories, uh, Miller would also occasionally do a little like one-off Sin City short stories. By the way, Sin City all takes place in a city called Basin City. Basin but the, so, City. So it's, it's such a, a shitty city. That it's nicknamed yeah. Sin City, but yeah. So he would write other little, uh, quick, like short stories that were set within this, and and one of them, I believe, is it called the like, customer is always right. The customer is always right, and it's just about these these two these this glamorous man and this glamorous woman meeting on this balcony at at this this party. We assume, yeah, there's like a gala or something. Exactly, and and he filmed that, and of course Rodriguez had worked with with Josh on the faculty, and I was looking up an interview with with Josh, and and he was like, yeah, Robert asked me, and I was like, and he said, I will always do anything he he asks. I'm I like love working with him. That's and great to know he had a fun time shooting. Faculty. I think that that's a, an important thing about Josh. Josh, if you're listening, we would we're big fans. We'd love to talk to you. Please come on the show uh, if you <laughs> ever in, if you ever in New York. Please swing by, tweet at us. Uh, we because and we think this is cool of you because this is a risk. This is like, hey, want to come in probably for no money and shoot this little test thing on, in front of a green screen? Yeah, and, and I'm going to use it to pitch it as a proof of concept to producers and to other big name actors. Right. And we need your handsome face to sell this thing. Yeah. And it, and it worked. And it's funny if you've looked at, have you seen like the original footage no. of 
them shooting that scene. No, that actually would be interesting. It's, it's wild. Like the, the shot. Uh, so you know the last shot of the scene where Josh is holding Marley Shelton's dead body and like kneeling on the ground as the, as rain. the rain is coming down and, and and hitting all the the puddles. It's just a shot of them with like a bunch of like pieces of green paper below <laughs> them, and then you can just see like the warehouse floor around there, and just in color, it looks so lame. Yeah, and it and and it is a testament to technology and what they made it into. So it, it was a risk. It seems uh, just on a side note, it always strikes me as impressive that anyone can act in a green screen environment. Oh, it seems so difficult. Because a lot of the time, it's yeah, it's just like you're in an empty room. You have to just pretend there's stuff around you, and like also, it's way more. The staging is way more important. I'm assuming because like they're like later we're going to add an entire city around you or whatever. Right. So you have to hit your marks and like deliver your lines and stuff. It's it's much more like um, it almost feels much more like stagecraft or theater. Yeah, it's like a, like Brechtian. Yes, Brechtian. No, it's not Brechtian because it's all uh, it, it's it's creating artifice, right? Like, more so than destroying it. Right, but the initial shooting of it probably feels that way just because it's so spare. Right, it's like our like town or something. something. Right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. A like, giant green R town. <laughs> or a, a With Dogville. no ladders or Not whatever. Dogville. Is it Dogville? Dogville, yeah. 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 And, and Manderley. For yeah. those Trier fans out there. I've never watched Dogville. Maybe I will one day. I don't know. It's great. It is cool. Yeah. It's an interesting movie. I uh, But... <laughs> It's but yeah, so the important so the important thing is that they shot this little this test clip, and Miller was one over, mm. and then Rodriguez was like, "Hey Frank, you want to come co-direct the whole thing?" Yeah. yeah, and so by all accounts, I mean it, it, he's credited there, but like Miller co-directed the movie, and also uh, because the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, does not allow. Uh, co-directing, I guess co-directing credits with someone who's not a member of the DGA. Right. Rodriguez quit the DGA so that he could make the the movie and have Miller credited as the ah, co-director. Yeah. And that's, that's true like fan service to help out with Miller's vision. I mean, he was really yeah. seemed like he was willing to sublimate his own, you know, spy kids influences that he may have thrown into this just so he could faithfully adapt Sin City to the screen. Yeah. Um, and Frank Miller like Unlike his contemporary Alan Moore, uh, both of them had trials and, and tribulations with Hollywood, but this is like a hundred percent like the creator's consent and vision. Like, mm-hmm. unlike Alan Moore, who I don't think <laughs> has ever once enjoyed or, or signed off or even like acknowledged things based off of his IP that he no longer owns. A few years ago, I read this interview with Alan Moore from two thousand one, and it is so wild to read. Because he talks about the From Hell film oh, is God. in production at the time. That thing sucked so much. I've never seen it. I probably never will. But Alan Moore is talking excitedly about the upcoming From Hell adaptation. So young and, and uh, innocent. And, he, and he's like, yeah. "Yeah, and the Hughes brothers are making it, and I like them, <laughs> and I think it's going to be a good movie." I like them. The Hughes brothers were making it. <laughs> is that an uh, Alan Moore? No. No, no you got. Um... <clears throat> Ooh, that's not bad. The th- uh, fuck, fuck. Where, where is he from? Fuck, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> He's from uh, Liverpool. No, fuck. North, <laughs> Northampton. Northampton. Oh, Northampton. Which is what uh, go out in stores by Jerusalem. His Boy, five thousand page book. It? No, it's so big. Long. <laughs> you own it. The it's pages are so scary. thin, and the words are so small, and it's and so scared. thick, and I'm scared. I, but it's all about Northampton. Yeah. 
But yeah, Alan Moore never... Well, he also didn't... I guess he, he wasn't presented with an opportunity like Frank Miller was. No, yeah. I think, and by the time... Like, for instance, I'm sure that... Because if you look at Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie, that basically does the 300 thing, which is just using every panel as a storyboard. And the Sin City thing, right? Yeah. Essentially, like... Exactly. And, and so, but at that point, Alan Moore didn't even want his name on the movie. He was just... He was yeah. so burned so early on. Well, because <laughs> he, had, he had the back-to-back uh, displeasure of From Hell, then two years later, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Which he, he had... He, <laughs> I forgot about that. With the, uh, with the Watchmen movie, I think Dave Gibbons, right? Yeah. Like, kept his name involved. Dave Gibbons w- w- was happy to, like, do press. Yeah. And, and Alan Moore and, gave him his cut. Yeah, of profits that he would have earned as like it's kind of nice. Alan Moore, Alan, cool Alan Moore is like I love Alan Moore. I love crusty Alan Moore even. He's so funny. even more than young, like nice Alan Moore. I yeah. love grumpy if there ever old. was a nice Alan. Yeah, Moore. but he's yeah. just like talking about it and he's just like, yeah. So I gave Dave Gibbons, uh, you know, my cut. Lost a bit of money there. <laughs> like he was funny. Just, like joking. But then he's like, also like apparently mad at Dave Gibbons because he wasn't like thanked enough. For, That's fair because I'm yeah. pretty sure Dave Gibbons made like a million dollars. I'm sure he made la- lots. Yeah. It'd be funny if you just went through a cycle of Dave Gibbons interviews at the time though, and at the end of every one, he was like, "And thank you, Alan Moore, for yeah. making me more a little money. bit." He set up Dave Gibbons to yeah. fail. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I, uh, Alan Moore is seems to, frustrated or, or angry at so many people in so many things i wonder has he been screwed over this many times or seems a little bit like it's on him well he's a curmudgeon too he doesn't seem like you could ever please him yeah he's also a big sweetie when you watch interviews with him yeah especially if you scratch his beard yeah (laughs) he likes that (laughs) yeah Yeah, and give him a little salt lick yeah (laughs) good old alan moore but so anyway (laughs) but so frank miller was given what alan moore was not and he was brought in to just be like hey you have basically full control over over translating your passion project to film, and they got like sixty million dollars to do it. They got an all star cast. Mm. Oh yeah, we got and it's all got, Josh's, not all Josh's doing, but it's it's a huge part uh, Josh is doing that this movie won over the creator and got made and influenced culture the way it did. It yeah. did, yeah. And so should we? It's funny. We should probably like talk through a bit of the movie. Yeah, the movie but is the mo- fairly simple. The movie is pretty simple, and also, so wait, when did you guys first see the movie? Did you see it in theaters? Because I did. I did not see it in theaters. No. I think I saw it maybe like a couple years after well, that. What were you guys doing? We Dude, were all I just seeing it in theaters. It was, I know. It, it well, it was, was two thousand five. I was too young. I was probably going to go see The Grudge or something. You know, and um, that, that was late October. 2004. I was so hype about Sin City. I'm pretty sure I did go see it with because well, I remember it so theaters. I got I, the DVD from the library basically like a year and a half later. Okay, see, I still vividly remember. I uh, <laughs> classic. So, so yeah. in 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 high school, I co-founded the Independent Filmmakers Club uh, at the school, and yeah. we were all there. Yeah, and I was, I, I was I, a member. Yeah, and I remember clearly just at the meetings every week, like leading up to the release of Sin City, like. The hype everyone there had, and people, you know, being like, "This, it's like, it is a this this comic book adaptation that is like, it's, it's like directly based on the comic. It's like Frank Miller is like making a movie, right. and it looks so unlike everything else that's coming it out. It did look, yeah, wholly unique. Like yeah. that, that has to be emphasized. Like, it was a time when comic book adaptations and comic book movies were not ubiquitous, and 
so it was a rare treat that this was even happening at all and it looked insanely similar to the source material and Frank Miller is like was like I was a huge fan at that time and and so yeah it was it I remember being like stupidly excited for this Yeah thing. for like any comic book fan even if you were only like minorly right. invested in the source material it still it was just like super interesting and I thought it was and, so wild well because yeah. back then if you look at cuz we have to talk about this movie in relation to comic book adaptations because yeah. it's so pivotal because obviously so in 2005 early 2005 we had recently had the, pr- the previous year there was spider-man 2 mm-hmm. still in my opinion the best superhero film ever made that's <laughs> used of raindrops keep falling on my head yep mm-hmm. that scene is so good <laughs> playstation spider-man video game one of the best oh yeah so, uh, really great and then 2003 there was x-men 2 and so they were they were beginning to get a little bit more comic booky, but the like the superhero adaptations were getting a little closer to. I mean, especially if you compare them to, you know, like the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. We were, we were getting superhero <laughs> movies that we actually kind of wanted, right? And uh, that were making me happy. But beyond the superhero movies, you know, there was like obviously 2003, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie was terrible, yeah, and. Although I saw and it in theaters at so the time, I. and I liked it. Okay, I didn't That's like a movie it. that has soured in retrospect. But I, yeah. I recently, just, a, I can't remember why, but I, I watched some clips from it on YouTube. It is rough. It is yeah. really rough. It's roof stoof, my friend. <laughs> and, but, so the, the stuff that wasn't superhero stuff, they were still, they were beginning to make other comic book movies, but they would, it was still that period of just being like, and let's radically change them. Let's <laughs> let's get rid of everything that makes the source material work. Yeah, these dirt dorks don't want this. Right. And then, I mean, A History of Violence was based on a comic, but most people didn't know that. And that came out in late 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, and, and things really began to change uh, about three months after Sin City when Batman Begins came out. And then you begin the Nolan era. <laughs> Yes. And so, but but this, but <laughs> Batman begins. It, it, it began. <laughs> it began them, there. and then sort of begat the rest. Batman of them. begins, and then it began. <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about with it. Film. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jake. There's yeah. the before and after Batman. You know. Sort of timeline unofficially <laughs> because Nolan is so fucking rad, dude. dude. The thing is, there is. I mean, literally, <laughs> yeah. you, like no. I mean, you you jump ahead to late 2006 and you've got Casino Royale, which is just Batman Begins for James Bond. Mm. Like the as much as the Dark Knight is the hugely influential phenomenon, Batman Begins already started influencing a lot of like blockbuster franchise movies, like r- just the following year. Right. It it. it did start changing things. But Sin City was this crazy new thing. Mm-hmm. And because this was, okay, wait, this is a comic book, but based on like a non-superhero comic book, like for adults, rated R, we're going to make it super faithful to the, the source material. And it was a hit. That's really key. This movie did well. It's true. And you know, everybody was talking about how Deadpool was such a revelatory film because it switched the superhero formula to a rated R movie. But you're right. Now that we're talking about it, Sin City did it first. Right. And, and Sin and City... did it make a lot of money? It cost... Um, 40, it says $40 million here for the budget and then $158.8 million Domestic. yeah. domestically, maybe. That's or, great. Yeah. So it did gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, sorry, it was just kids uh, like sorry, me. It, it did 158 worldwide. Okay. Worldwide. I was and, like, uh, but, Damn. But, but still, like, <laughs> like in North America, it it made uh, 
like seventy four million. It's still it's still almost doubled its budget. But it's funny that nobody took that lesson earlier than in two thousand five that a rated R superhero movie could well, be a consistent th- th- thing. This to make. isn't a superhero movie. Like Deadpool was kind of a big deal because yeah. it, it was a it was a colorful costumed spandex superhero movie. It gotcha. was like it was like there was like a. X Men tangential movie. Yeah, gotcha. if you were okay. a cool mom, you could send your kid to go see this one. Right, but, <laughs> but this was like you look at the trailer, yeah. and it's and like the name Frank Miller is all over it. They're using the same logo from the comic. It is so clearly a comic book, mm-hmm. but because then, and this is where I'm going to lay out my whole theory. Okay, and this isn't really so much. I mean, this brace is, yourselves. This is, it's factual. This isn't so much a theory because two years after this, it's science. Because obviously, studios were like, hey. This Frank Miller graphic novel, the film adaptation, did really well. What if we did that thing again with another Frank Miller graphic novel and adapted it panel for panel and made it look (laughs) exactly like the comic? And then they're like, hey, Zack Snyder, you just made the Dawn of the Dead remake. That was pretty good. (laughs) That's good, buddy. You want to try something else? Like, here, take this Frank Miller graphic novel. And obviously, (laughs) Zack Snyder made 300, which was... Huge. And it was so sweet, that movie. It was dude, so sweet. It, for, dude, it it ruled. And there was a naked oracle, and it was hot. Yeah, there's a sexy... This was my Matt's three must-haves in his movies. <laughs> hot babes. Hot oracles. Hot freaking abs. Eight packs. <laughs> eight packs and violence. <laughs> I have to have Ideally those. Ideally in Or it's just that movie's motion. stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. also... <laughs> and Xerxes. Matt's <laughs> rule of four. Matt's rule of four. Matt's been very unhappy with most films. <laughs> I, I have been very highly disappointed with a lot of cinema. <laughs> Xerxes-less. Matt, <laughs> Matt goes to see you first reformed. He's like, but where's Xerxes? Yeah, Blade Runner 249, everyone's raving about him. I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you what. No Xerxes. I didn't see any Xerxes in there. <laughs> no one was over six feet tall in that movie. I wanted an eight foot tall He man. sounded like Buffalo Bill, too. He's just like... I'm Xerxes. Oh yeah, <laughs> and guys, who pl- who played Xerxes? Uh, oh, Brady for- Corbett. I don't know. That's a weird. <gasps> what? <to> say. <laughs> what? Sorry, guys. What Brady fuck? Corbett. <laughs> oh, uh, Gary Sinise. <laughs> Joel McHale. <laughs> Let's look it up. Rodrigo Santoro. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Giamatti as Xerxes. Hot off a sideways and straight, <laughs> straight into 300. Oscar nominee. Hey, Paul you, did a, you did a quirky wine comedy. <laughs> Want to be Xerxes? <laughs> Do I? You know what? I kid. I don't know what Paul Giamatti's voice is. That was going to turn quickly into Iago or something. <laughs> you know I do. All right, but, Paul. Okay, guys. Let me Miranda, keep... I'll take care of Brady. <laughs> let me keep this going. Okay. Matt Steve from Sex and the City impression. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to label it. Let me, let me keep it going. Yeah. Governor okay. Nixon. <laughs> so, 2007, also in March. Yes. Also in March, exactly two years after Sin City. Mm. 300 comes out. Mm. It is bigger than Sin City. Yeah, mm. I remember that it's, shit. It's, I oh, mean, yeah. it had one of the great trailers ever. We all saw that in theaters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. I haven't seen it in years. Uh, I remember thinking it was cool at the time, and I... I'm mixed on it now. Dude, infinity wells and millions of arrows blackening the sky. Yeah. That shit's dope. Well, I mean... They fought in the shade. They did. We will fight in the shade. And, 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 and who said that line? Out the sun. Uh, did Michael Fassbender, Michael Fassbender say Fassbender. that one? Yeah. Hot-ass Michael Fassbender. So sexy. Yeah. But Mike... Okay, but like that... that like So then... 
300 is the bigger cultural deal, but it could only have existed through Sin City. Exactly. But wait, I'm going to keep it going. Sure, okay. yeah. So 300, really big deal. It basically like took what... Sin City was kind of like the prototype, and 300 took it further. And I, I feel like actually took its style and the way it was done mm-hmm. and did it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Just on like, on like a technical... It and, looks pretty. I mean... It does. Well, but I'll, I'll also get into that. Sure. But so that worked really well. And so off of 300... Zack Snyder makes Watchmen. Mm. And lest we forget the trailer for Watchmen from the visionary director of 300. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like, hey, 300, he took the comic and basically just did like a shot-for-shot recreation and of it. He did it. And th- let's have, just have him do the same thing with Watchmen. Right. And it, it, he didn't use the like super CGI stylized style. They like made sets and everything. And but that's again the nece- out of necessity if you're doing a shot for shot of replicating Frank Miller's particular style. Right. Which is which is more heightened and stylized yeah. than the, the generally pretty grounded artwork that right. Dave Gibbons and Watchmen. And so, but he they did Watchmen the same way. Yeah. And just like you know, using the panels of the comics as the storyboards for the film. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, skip ahead a few years and pretty much off of 300 Watchmen, Watchmen was like, you know, kind of like it did okay and was like lukewarmly received. Mm-hmm. It has its passionate fans, though, because then <laughs> Zack Snyder, having made the, these two big, pretty big comic book adaptations, he goes and gets hired to do Man of Steel. Yeah. And then he makes Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And the snowball keeps and then rolling he makes Justice down the hill. And so gets he, bigger and bigger. So so what I'm saying is that Sin City is responsible for the monstrous, insufferable Snyder fanboys. <laughs> because it is it is because there would be no three hundred movie without Sin City. Right. And without 300, There's no Zack, Zack Snyder. Snyder's career would not have taken off the way it did, and he would not have ended up you know, becoming the guy who launched the DC Extended Universe. And so... And now we have a dude that's making the Fountainhead. I can't wait! All Which right, is man. his passion project. <laughs> yes. Obviously, Snyder's a Randian. I'm assume, I'm, I almost thought that Miller was, too. He might was be. Was he an objectivist guy? Uh, not not uh, so much. Well, I who knows him, if he's on record about that, I but it wouldn't surprise me. I get him mixed with Ditko... Kind of. The thing is, like, I don't think Miller has those big ideas about society and stuff like that. He's just grumpy. Like, like, Miller's a guy who's like, I, you know, I like old-fashioned things. I like, like, men being strong men and protecting women. And You can see him making the speech Marv makes in Sin City. Like, these were the good days, the violent days. Well, that's what we say, like, it just seems like that's just his, his, like, alcoholically pickled, like, Brain just spilling out unfiltered onto the page, right? Yeah. Well, well with pickled brain, well, yeah. Well, with Snyder's movies, they're actually, and this is one of the things he where, has an ideology. Well, he, he does, but I also think Snyder is—he's ne- never especially clear on what he's trying to say. But these ideas are still there. But if you look at his presentation of Superman, he was like, which is all about Superman not thinking like helping people is a bummer and <laughs> that maybe he doesn't have to right. and that maybe and the idea that's very of, Randian it, it is yeah that's, and that's why he this appeals to him and so look do I, I make you Randy <laughs> that's a joke do I make you that, Ayn Randy baby. That's it. do I make you Ayn Randy so and, and that's like, content and look, <laughs> as someone who has has been Harassed at length on Twitter by the Snyder fanboys. Keep it up, boys. And uh, guys, <laughs> Snyder cuts never happening. It doesn't exist. Get yeah. a life. But, Damn. 
But that that wouldn't cold. that wouldn't exist if it weren't for Sin City. And so I'm sorry, Frank Miller. I'm sorry, Robert Rodriguez. But you caused all of this. And I'm sorry <laughs> on an even more indirect level. I'm sorry, Josh. But you did cause this to happen, <laughs> and you hurt us as a society <laughs> because it metastasized into uh, a horrible thing. Also, the the and writing funny was on because the... Josh Josh could have been Batman in, in a non Zack Snyder yeah. movie. Well, it's I mean the writing was on the wall from go with 300 because if you remember that movie in the same way that everyone was saying like fucking anchorman quotes and stuff like there was that rash of just reported uh like sparta kicking sparta kicking where everyone would say this is sparta and then just (laughs) kick somebody like downstairs like people were dying no you remember the the big story was there was a a woman that was complaining uh behind a man going up an escalator yeah man turned around to the old woman and said this is sparta and and kicked her down down the escalator and she was like severely injured yeah it was like really bad and you're like dude what has happened to it's the just a world bunch of guys right who are like, I'm Leonidas. It was yeah. just like, <laughs> like tonight we dine in hell. <laughs> yeah, it was just people saying shit like that, like unironically, and then they would have like all the like incredible, like because you know, also Zack Snyder, right, sort of famously wanted to just do a bunch of crunches with like sexy guys. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he he did the workout alongside them and yeah. got. Also, get also, big with his uh, boys. Uh, yeah. director, d- directors, <laughs> yeah, directors should never get in like really, really good shape. That's that's where the and like we're supposed to be the weirdos who hide behind the camera. Let yeah. the pretty people be in front of the camera. No one wants like a ripped director. Can you imagine that, a ripped George Lucas just shooting his green screen room? A freaking god! Just I don't sipping his coffee and walking around. And he's yeah, just like, hey, hey, you and again. you and you got to do a backflip. Here, let me show you. And then he just grabs a <laughs> lightsaber and just does like a triple backflip. Yeah, he he's just like, does, like that, okay? All right, you're a Jedi, yeah. And then he just does like amazing lightsaber moves. And he's like, this is what we need. You know what? I fuck it. I'm in it. <laughs> do it like a Jedi. I'll show you. Yeah. And so runs up a wall, cycling back it, like Prince of Persia. Maybe okay. We're an so hour into again. this podcast. We should talk about Sin City. Yeah, let's talk about it's it. It's easy though. It's Three short films, basically, intertwined by the loosest nexus of this, like, connection of this one bar. And, yeah. like, these, like, people. Like, a few supporting characters kind of overlap a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty weak, the... the. I mean, it's it's part of... It's it's a faithful adaptation, so it's, like, what Miller did. But, it, it you know, the, the the vignettes and the connections between them are, are fairly loose. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, like, it's just super important. Yeah. But it's also, yeah. I, I think, nice that they didn't take one of these pretty short simple stories and try to pad it Make out a tapestry out of it like 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 you don't need to see two hours of, of marv doing no this none now. of this works on like a, if, in a full two-hour setting it was already well me and jake were complaining about this a bit but like the tone never varies and so even with the like three stories that are like different there's just like a, a tone that that did become kind of boring and tiresome by the end. Like well, I was like, I so OD'd dark, on it. You almost feel kind of weary by the end because just in every story, something grotesque or violent is happening at least once every two minutes, and everyone like, delivers really their lines from it basically yeah. the same. So like an hour was fun, and then the second hour was yeah, was like, a, like I was all done. Like literally, like by the time Bruce Willis rips the yellow man's penis off like wet mozzarella cheese <laughs> you're just like i'm t- i'm tired yeah Whew, this is like See, fuck I, man I, I was i would get kind of tired and yeah. then when there would be one of those moments where someone's dick gets ripped off i'd be re-engaged i'd be like okay this is that's fun. crazy also they yeah. put underwear on that guy and i know in the comic book his dick was out oh it's out yeah. so i don't know why just give it a 
Yeah, well, so I have. I saw this movie <laughs> in, see the- that yellow in theaters, <laughs> loved it, had a yeah. blast. I bought the big, like, extended cut DVD. I remember watching it again in a class, I think, like, my sophomore year of college. I was still pretty into it, and I haven't seen it since 2007, yeah. I think. And and watching it now, it it's a weird relic of its time uh-huh. because it, it, it very much feels like— it almost feels less like a movie and more like a sort of little just what should have been a few experimental a little like short like a short yeah, film project yeah. that would have been like released yeah. on the internet because obviously it it is less striking than it than it uh, it used to be mm-hmm. uh, than what it was when it came out because like we know how it was made and and you can see the the seams are more visible now yeah, yeah. and and a thing that i kept thinking about Especially, and I would think of, and I, I watched just on, on YouTube a couple of scenes from 300 because I haven't watched that in a while. But I do think one of the the issues with Sin City is that almost the whole movie feels like a montage, and mm-hmm. there there aren't a lot of like whole scenes where things play out, and and because it's working so directly from the original comic panels, the shots are so static. And I feel like it does lack this kineticism mm. that 300 actually does have. Like, you look at, like, a fight scene in 300. You know, you've got the thing where the camera's, like, dollying along, then we'll yeah. zoom in. Like, yeah. they added, uh, Snyder uh, takes a, a bit more—he adds a bit more of his own flair. He takes a bit more liberties. The scenes actually play out a bit more, like, scenes. He'll they have, have energy to them. There, there's more energy. There's, he'll have more establishing shots and stuff like that. And Sin City, it's kind of—he's very static— shots and and so much of it has voiceover over it and it is so consistently the same tone throughout that i feel like much of the movie just kind of plays like a montage and it feels to me more like an interesting filmmaking experiment like hey could you could (laughs) we do this right rather than a and and i think it's still enjoyable and interesting but but I'm not sure how much it, 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 at this point, we're watching it now, how much it functions as a film on its own. But you look at the reviews for it back when it came out, and it was well-received. And there's a lot of reviews. I remember like, Roger Ebert, four stars, and was like, wow, this is like, this looks incredible. This is, this this feels new. Mm -hmm. And now it doesn't feel as new. And so without the novelty of it, it, uh, it, it does just feel like a funny relic of 2005. I agree it feels like a relic, but more in tone even than its, you know, digital effects and green screen stuff. Because as much as it looks kind of fake, I still thought in the context of that movie and how hyper-stylized and over-exaggerated it's supposed to be, that stuff kind of worked still for me. Yeah, it me. still like, worked. I didn't, fact, I didn't find it looked, like, shitty now. It gets, like, charming I was worried I would. as like, it ages. Yeah. Well, can I say my thing about... I and like it, that stylization I mean, and the, the technology is, seemed good. I think the general look works, but... Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try to articulate this because this is sort of weird. Because it, it, it commits so intensely to this tone yeah. and because it is so heightened and every element is so exaggerated, every character is larger than life, every line is like impossibly <laughs> huge, yep. every action is like almost comical because of how big and it, it is like the it's like they, they they distilled and then like exaggerated just the idea of like crime noir yeah but when you look at it in a comic the characters are just these simple shapes yeah and 
everything is so pared down and so simple and so um, like iconic. They're they're just these. They're like not. They're just archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. They're literally like shapes cut out of the like negative space of darkness or light. Right. But when you add the just human beings to that, I think it it, it reveals the. It, it creates this flatness that isn't there in in the comic because suddenly right. the, you've got human beings with all just like just human faces and human emotions and just everything that that an actual human being bring just has just in in real life yeah. and suddenly and they can't and, and having them say these lines that are so simple and so pared down has this flatness to it because I think to ha- have these these things really work and be immersive. Mm. You do need the starkness of the original illustrations, and and it works better in text than said out loud. But when you've got Bruce Willis, who has nuance as an actor, just saying these lines with like zero subtext, that is just straight up like this is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's not, it's not the character. It's oh, this is Bruce Willis doing this kind of interesting experiment and and like trying to do this like heightened genre spin well like one i, I kind of see what you mean yeah well did you guys like also feel this way like the, one of the scenes where th- the stylization and even the like leeway i'm giving actors because they're delivering these silly lines still didn't work and i was just like this is just stiff and bad mm-hmm. was uh when um it was like right before bruce willis knocks out michael madsen because he's gonna go I mean, well, Michael Madsen really phones it in. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, no, yeah. he, he's so sleepy, and and he there's no energy to those. But lines. that's where I'm just like, that's where they were just they were doing the thing where he's like, you, you don't go in there, like blah blah blah, and and Bruce Willis is trying hard to be a hardboiled character in, next to him, but yeah, that's it, that was just shitty. Like that was just shitty acting, and I like I uh, I felt suddenly the whole the whole. Um, you know, digital effects just melt away, and I just saw them in an empty warehouse. Right, yeah. but, and I was and like, that's, "You guys and, are just and, in a and warehouse." It's because it's just these static shots with very little energy. And what I kept thinking of is, and it's weird that I'm now sort of defending and praising 300 so much, which <laughs> I I don't love as a movie. But in 300, if you look at the performances in that movie and the presentation, they are on the level of the visuals. You've got Gerard Butler screaming, Tonight, Everyone we bearing- dine in hell. <laughs> Give and- them nothing but take from them everything. everything. That's yeah. a fun one to keep That's saying. a superlative, Wait, But you've you got that, and you've got... And, and, <laughs> Good sir. But Butler is giving a performance that is as uh-huh. heightened Butler. as the visuals. Well, and he does the bared teeth thing, which is a huge part of Frank Miller. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's kind of what this needs. <laughs> you need... Ev- and Clive Snyder- Owen kind of does it in that one... Mm. Remember when they're straight up making the image from the comic where he like spins around and his hair is kind of like over his head and he's just like, and he's shooting the gun. Like, I remember that from the comic. Yeah. I, yeah. So he, and, there's and one good teeth bearing scene. There is. <laughs> and I just think in general, I mean... For me, Sin City is it's a fascinating experiment that works in some ways and doesn't work in some other ways. But I do think, you know, weirdly enough, like realizing it now, Zack Snyder kind of realized how to make this work better. And I think, as much as he's not known as a great director of actors, the the performances in Three Hundred are more 
they they sell it more than this does. And his shit looks good. It does. Well, also there's nothing to say of including of, his shit, like his abs. <laughs> he does CrossFit. Oh yeah. Well, but also Zack Snyder shoots on film, mm. and so you have the texture to 300. Well, do you, you think? See, and so there's it's shot on film. While this is shot on really early digital <laughs> cinema yeah. cameras, so just in. Just straight up, it's not gonna look as nice. Do you think uh, Zack Snyder's other? Well, do you think one of the trick like hacks he uses to try and like keep the kineticism going is just while essentially giving you enough time to register a comic book frame is slow motion? Like that's just sort of yes. how he does it. He's just like, yeah. I, th- I think slow motion is. We're act- not gonna stop, stop, but it's gonna be slow. So you, <laughs> we can just frame it artfully. Yeah, I, I, I think, and. And some of the wow, moment you've made that what I feel like for a lot of people that aren't Zack Snyder fans like a point of contention. Like he just constantly slows it down. To actually, sound like a well articulated point about how he makes it feel more that's like what I always a felt was tribute the, to the source material. Right, especially because it, when I you, just never thought of it. Because that way, but. The, one of the things that's interesting about comics is that the the artwork has to control the pacing. Yeah, because in film, obviously, the audience is at the mercy of the director. The director controls the pacing and the order in which we see everything. Mm-hmm. But in a comic, it's all visual storytelling, and the artist is basically, if they're skillful enough, is able to dictate how we we move through the page and and with like the size of panels and the arrangement of the panels, how we experience it and creating the sense of pacing. And so when you've got like a a big you know, double page spread, you slow down and take it in. Mm-hmm. And Snyder in 300 with the use of slow motion is able to create the the same effect that like a big double page spread from the comic would have where that, that moment almost freezes and he would use super slow motion. Oh yeah. And so you just kind of take it in. And it's funny because you look at, there's moments kind of like that in Sin City. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a couple parts where it'll do that kind of, white silhouette on black usually in a wide profile yeah. shot yeah. Like, like when what, Clive Owen sinks into the tar pit like, as he's about like you think he's gonna that die that works that's cool yeah, that's that great. is slow motion shot or the, the, the shot where uh, Bruce Willis kills himself shoots himself in the head yeah, the yeah. and that's a moment that I, I you know I'm not saying it should be in slow motion but it kind of is going for the same effect right. it pulls back it's, it's such a stark silhouette and to really linger on and, and enhance this one moment and and yeah, but also at the same time, they're going for different tones. 300 is very much going for like the like really intense, like visceral feeling. Yeah. And there is this self-aware humor to Sin City yeah. where the violence is all pretty cartoonish. When pe- people, there's an explosion and people will, will just fly off into the distance. Oh, when yeah. there's when people get, like when people get punched and they just like flip a million times like rag dolls. Yeah. Or yeah. like that when the, um, uh, shoot, what's the main... Uh, prostitute lady. There, there's so many. The yeah. one, the one with like the mo, mo like faux hawk thing. Oh, that, Rosario Dawson. Yeah, yeah. Rosario Gale. Dawson. Gail, who I, I would argue gives the best performance in the movie. When she gets, when she just gets like backhanded by that guy, and she on the chair that she's tied to, and she just flies like she uh, just it's flies great. away. I mean, just, the way Marv gets beaten up and then beats other people up is so hilariously exaggerated. The way he jumps into the police car and kicks his two feet, which is one glass. of the best drawn panels in Sin City. Yeah. Exactly. Also, there's there's the, the the whole montage of Marv like trying to get answers. Yeah, and I like the gag where he's driving a car. And then has the door open and just pressing a man's face, yeah, in the, in the, like grinding into the, the, the road. asphalt as he's driving. Also, um, there are two 
two gags in this movie involving people's heads being pushed into unflushed toilets. Yes, yeah. with visible shit and and then puking up piss. Yeah, which is funny. So nasty. The movie's funny. yeah. That's maybe with, I yeah. I, I did want to bring that up too. Was like it's called Sin City. I feel like everyone remembers it being so grim, but my main takeaway on the second viewing, I guess, in my life is that it's actually pretty hilarious. It yeah. is, I, and I, purposefully so. I, yeah. And I think because of adding real people to it does does have this bring this this remove that 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 you don't have in in the comic. And I don't the comics are not as funny. As Miller was certainly like approaching satire by, like you said, isolating an already stark, laconic, stylized genre mm-hmm. even further. But you do get the sense that like. Even though he like gets the, like a major writing credit and like oversaw the production of this movie, so he must have like agreed to the tone and everything. I I don't know. I never got the sense, having never met him, but hearing him talk and stuff, that he had less of a sense of humor about it. Do, would you say that's fair or no? Uh, yeah, no, th- th- that's totally fair. I mean, obviously he was like on board with all of this, but right. but it, it is. I, th- I think just it, there's Rodriguez's general tone. He he, he loves the sort of like kind of slightly comedic heightened violence. I mean, he's the guy. He made a whole series of movies involving guitar cases that turn into various <laughs> weapons. Yeah, he his his yeah. Like I said, his thesis was pretty clear from the beginning. <laughs> right, but but the the original comics are not they're not a, as funny. Like, right. Yeah. They're 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 more just they're sad kind of. They're stark and sad and brutal. Yeah. And so sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, can we talk about just Frank Miller in general? Can I mention one thing though? Yes. Just I just have a question now, like because we were talking about how to do comic adaptations. There's obviously just the creative license in which you can do whatever. But the other thing that I thought of immediately was uh, Ang Lee and the Hulk. Yeah. And how you just literally recreate panels on screen yeah. <laughs> right as like another kind of failed experiment uh I, in doing that i've got a there's a part in a video i did some point last year where i i talked about that oh yeah and yeah and and a part of why i i think angley's approach to the to hulk. the hulk film with adding this sort of comic book aesthetic to the editing and some mm-hmm. of the visuals I think is also at odds with the tone of it because it's going for this very dramatic, like like right. fa- like this very serious family drama tone. Well, Ang Lee's still trying to make an Ang Lee movie, so it's a movie about loneliness and repressed <laughs> emotions, right? And uh, you know how people bottle these demons up inside them, and but then, it ends up. But then maybe the they turn into a big Hulk. There's three yeah, frames and, 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 and panels. Yeah, but we punch a helicopter too. Yeah, right. But then, uh, but obviously, the idea, the whole aesthetic of of adding comic book panels in the screen and sound effects and stuff like that yeah. works way better in Scott Pilgrim because Ooh, the, yeah. because the tone of the, because that fits the tone of the movie in general. It also fits Edgar Wright's like Edgar Wright doesn't have to take such a leap forward in his own personal style in order to meet that movie halfway, you know. Right. And that's also a movie that, that like yeah. that having that comic book aesthetic and and style to it also reflects the main character's headspace. Yeah. And so yeah, so it, it works there question though yes um just because I, I we haven't done it and i think we could just recap it kind of quickly do we want to just give like because it's three main stories do yes. we want to just give a brief recap on what the three plots of the sin city jake jump on short stories are so obviously we know that it opens with a section called the customer is always right and that's sort of josh hartnett as a hitman who murders this woman and you find out right at the end of this little two minute segment that she had actually paid him to do that to her and so that's already like a little twisted aspect to the story. Wait, I 
I didn't get that. I didn't interpret it that way. He goes, well, he, he says, says I'll he never said, know I'll, what I'll she was. I'll cash her check in the I'll morning. I'll cash her check in the oh, morning. As right. in, it's her check that she gave to him. I thought I'll, he meant her the job for her the job of killing her. Yeah, I I, I thought it was he meant yeah same oh. thing. Well, in, that, that's interesting too. I had always interpreted when he says I'll cash her check as in like she literally paid him to do this. Okay, for whatever to, strange to die reason. Sexily. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And well, um, also, I will say I I like that scene. And it, it's funny also how different that scene is than the rest of the movie because yeah. every other male protagonist is like, it's like is it a really intense. Yeah, like he's like, not like, doing a like gravelly criminal. voice. Yeah, and, and you've got Josh who's just this charming man at like a swanky party. Oh, yeah. And they he's have this charming. like flirtatious dialogue and kiss in the rain. Yeah. And she's wearing this red dress. It's also funny. This movie is mostly about street level criminals and prostitutes. And then you have these like high society people yeah, in the opening of. scene and then nothing. No <laughs> explanation. But then, but then also, the movie does get into sort of like some political stuff and like yeah. the the higher ups in the city. Well, it's right. noir, so everyone's corrupt, and everything about your environment and everyone in it is a yeah. liar, and and, it, and it's. Can threatening. I say one really funny thing though? What? One of the really powerful people, I believe, the cardinal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rucker, Rucker Hauer. Hauer. <laughs> the Rucker Hauer, but his name is, his name is almost my name. His. My full name is Patrick Henry Willems, and his name is Patrick Henry Rourke. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, wow, Pat! Your parents, what do you think they were doing there? Huh? That I will say, it's weird to hear your first and last, first and middle name said straight up in a movie, especially when referring to a cannibalistic <laughs> priest politician character. I know, yeah, that he gets was, like his throat squished so like hard it squirts like, blood on Marv, Basin City's diocese or whatever, yeah. and he's just like. That beautiful boy, he, we both ate flesh together. And oh, my God. Achieved God. Um, hey, Elijah Wood in this movie. Oh, he's so good. He, yeah. he, you know. Elijah Wood also, okay, Josh reteams our first time teams with several people. Yeah. Uh, so Elijah Wood is back. Right. From, he, the faculty. from the faculty. He's back. <laughs> Jamie King is back from Pearl Harbor. Oh, yeah. She plays Goldie. Bruce Willis, who will be in... He will be Levin back. next week. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's there for the first time. Mm-hmm. So... Josh's career overlaps with He's making some friendships or continuing some friendships that he's already had. But also, he shares no scenes with any of these nope. people. But, um, okay, so after that like first prologue, then we get into the main story, which is the only of the three short films within this you know anthology type of film that uh, splits in half. So you have The Yellow Bastard Part 1, and that's the story of Bruce Willis as John Hartigan, who's chasing after a child serial killer who, you know... Played by Nick Stahl. Yep. A.K.A. slightly older John Connor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and he basically murders this, uh, or he attempts to like save this little 11-year-old girl named Nancy Callahan um, from this old. guy. And they call him a child serial killer. He's also uh, a serial rapist too right and that's i feel like they make that more of a big plot point to his character in the movie anyways so yeah uh, um, any any bad guy in this movie is really bad oh they don't just kill God. people they will also rape people yeah. or they will also eat people yeah, yeah. it's i mean it's yeah. frank miller so it's like he's like what, what kind of right what kind of righteous man what, what kind of scum should they kill fucking pedophiles yeah, frank miller doesn't play kill fuck mary he plays kill rape eat yeah <laughs> <laughs> um he calls it kill fuck mary uh, that not that the name of the game, or is it maybe not Kill Fuck Mary? But like, think Kill Mary Fuck. Yeah, are you, are you talking about the the order that it's he put? Fuck it Mary in? Kill. Oh, Fuck, fuck Mary Kill. kill. Oh. That's how you say the game. Anyway, okay, anyways, just being pedantic. Sorry. Um, so there's the Bruce Willis plot, which is split into two, um, and it sort of ends with him having gotten shot down by Michael Madsen, his old colleague, and then hospitalized because the serial serial rapist pedophile guy is the 
um, mayors or is the son of the Rourke family, which Powers Sin City Booth. just makes it Powers. clear. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> All right, rest in Powers is like the presiding influential political force in the city, and since it's Sin City, they corrupt and they and they kill, rape, and fuck. Yeah, and uh, and eat <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah, they're, they're terrible people. So, so, that, so, so Bruce yeah. Willis gets gets gunned down and then yeah. like sent to prison, betrayed and, by crooked cop Michael Madsen. Yeah, yeah. but but he, but he but he saved this little girl. Mm-hmm. And, and then we go to the hard goodbye. Yeah, which was the the very first Sin City story ever published okay. in comic form with the best character Marv. Marv, played by Mickey Rourke, who is a, like so fun, so in this great. Movie. And it should be said that Rodriguez is actually a key figure in Mickey Rourke's comeback because you know Mickey Rourke, if you look at his career in the '90s, nothing, just just like yeah. made for TV movies, bad stuff. And then the comeback kind of begins. He's in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Okay. And then he's obviously like one of the leads in Sin City, which yeah. was a hit. And then three years after this, he's in The Wrestler. Yeah. So I think so. The Rodriguez collaborations, especially this, I think were a vital part of his. Send a little spotlight on him for Aronofsky to then see and then snatch him. Yeah, I just mean, like it put him in stuff. mainstream movies again. Mickey yeah. Rourke is such a I. I I always get a little sad thinking about him. He's such a tragic figure, yeah. and he's so good. Like his early career was so good. Like you know, just like a diner and uh, uh, even like uh, Rumble Fish and like um, yeah, even Angel Heart. Is it Angel, Angel Hearts Heart? in the '90s? Which is like kind of that's like a I weird when one. He was, but that's got De Niro, uh, but with he's long fingernails peeling a hard boiled egg. Yeah, and then um, named Lou Lou yeah. Cipher. Yeah, hey, that's Lucifer, movie. guys. Spoiler alert, this guys. It's actually that, Lucifer that, that also has someone with long fingernails. Oh yeah, and that's Elijah Wood. Oh yeah. And, he's great, and he's in the hard goodbye. But so I was just like sad again because like I was because you're just I'm watching Mickey Rourke like fucking nail this kind of weird performance. Yeah, and uh, he's just so talented. I'm sorry, but yeah. he's like the guy because it, there's there's a part when Clive Owen has a voiceover describing Marv Mickey Rourke's character, and he's saying like. Uh, you know, he's not crazy. He was just like born in the wrong century. He would have been right at home on a battlefield yeah. putting an axe in a man's face. Yeah. And for this big, hulking, ugly, brutal guy, Mickey Rourke is the perfect guy. Post failed boxing career body, yeah. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. yeah, but also with a whole lot of clay on his face to make Hell him look yeah. uglier oh, yeah. than he actually is. And 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 even in this section, it's one of my favorite line deliveries too, when uh Mickey Rourke you know, is on his way back to kill Kevin, aka Elijah Wood, the cannibal serial killer, and uh, he lists wears, wears out his sweaters. He wears sweaters and is very polite. <laughs> Looks like and Charlie clean Brown. Cut. Yeah, <laughs> and he lists out his like collection of items that he's bringing with him. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. like, I got a couple things with me. He's got, I got this barbed wire chain. I got a hatchet. I got my first aid kit. And my mitts. And yeah. his hands come in, and they're just trembling a little bit. <laughs> and my mitts. And yeah. he calls his hands his mitts and his face his mug. And I'm just like, mitts and mugs, man. Yeah. yeah. That's like the perfect description for this man's body parts. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it so much. The line delivery was great. Um, but so he's basically having a one-night stand, Marv, with this woman, Goldie. Who, who is a prostitute, but he doesn't know is a prostitute. Yeah. But he, she's just... Well, he's also like a little bit crazy. Yeah. And he so, has an illness that they don't specify, which may, might be schizophrenia. Yeah, something. but basically, to, to him, she's just this angel yeah. who, who is... It's like... She's actually nice to him, and it isn't turned away by his... Goldie. By his... <laughs> 
disgusting mug. His mug. Like I said, mitts. the graveliest voice in the whole movie yeah. is Mickey Rourke. <laughs> but, the, but then he wakes up. Also, they're in a heart-shaped bed. Oh, yeah. Another and, iconic visual from the comic. Yeah. yeah. But then he wakes up, and she's dead. Right. In bed with him, and the cops are after him. And he basically, he's trying to hunt down whoever Actually killed, killed, killed her, who now, after this one night, is like the most important woman. In, I mean, so the thing about this movie is... Frank Miller basically melds the Madonna horror complex into one, where every woman in this movie is a prostitute. Right. But, but that. that also is angelic and must be saved. Yeah. yeah. They're That's the purest creatures on earth. Every woman in this movie, except for Carla Gugino, who is the also super hot lawyer, but she's a lesbian. Which Marv thinks is weird because with that body she could have any man she wants. Yeah, like what's she doing? Yeah. Right. That that's the women in this movie. Yeah. And, and even, unfortunately, literally all of them. You're even right. the powerful women who actually do kind of like take charge for themselves. The 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 prostitutes run Old Town, like led by Rosario Dawson, uh, with a, an awesome like mohawk thing. They're still prostitutes. Yeah. They're every they're every woman is a prostitute in this. And movie. they still kind of need a man to help them. Yeah. Like, yeah. the, but I mean, you could. That's on you, you, Frank Miller. But also, he is just pulling from. That's what I was about to uh, say. Yeah. A genre where that's he's just heightening. The one trope. Uh, you know, these are pre-existing dynamics where yeah. there's trembling dames that need protection from. You know, a, yeah, you're a, a incredibly dame. evil society. Right, but but it's also a or thing. a femme fatale. Those are your two. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, but like Women. also, you know, Nancy Callahan, little Nancy yeah. Callahan, eleven years old, she grows up to be Jessica Alba, who then becomes like. A like a go-go a stripper. dancer, like stripper. A, like a stripper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, who kind of like lazily throws a lasso around in circles. Right. For sure, they should have done a second take of that. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure Jessica Alba was probably like, I'll be in this. I f- it, well, one of know, the but one of not the changes, be so crazy. One of the changes they made from the comic is that they put a top on her when she's dancing. So she is. I'm naked. not surprised. We don't see the yellow bastard's dick, and I mean, there, there's Nancy Calgary. There's nudity the in the movie, yeah. Yeah. but. She isn't naked. But yeah, but like literally every woman is a sex worker in some way. Mm-hmm. But that also, again, Frank Miller with Sin City was doubling down on stuff that had occurred through his work. Mm. Because, and the thing is like Frank Miller's 80s comics work is like an unimpeachable string of masterpieces. <laughs> he genuinely did redefine mainstream comics. And the stuff that he did is so good. But, for instance, one of his best comics is Batman Year One, which was one of the main inspirations for Batman Begins. And obviously, it's the, the new, updated canon telling of the beginning of Batman's career right. and his origin. And one of the, the, the new things that he added to continuity there is that uh, Selina Kyle, before she becomes Catwoman, is a prostitute. <laughs> right, yeah. And at the time, that was kind of a novel thing. It's like, okay, so she's like coming from like, like a... You know, just, like, street-level background, doing anything she can to get by. And then by, like, becoming a cat bur- burglar, she basically, like, buys Turns her into wa- a cat woman. Prostitute <laughs> changed cat burglar. Well, she, like, buys her way into high society. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, but then you've got that in, in Daredevil Born Again, which is maybe the best Daredevil story ever. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt Murdock's fir- former girlfriend, um, Karen Page, who has been gone for years, is revealed to have become a drug addict who's appeared in like like sketchy like pornographic films in like South America and then <laughs> to fuel her drug habit uh sells Daredevil secret identity uh yeah. to to a criminal and so you do have 
women in like ending up in these situations or are in that line of work in in his comics. But then in Sin City, he really doubles down on it. It's like, no, every woman. So, uh, okay, so we've got covered the, the Marv story, the, uh, the hard goodbye. And so next up, I believe there's the big fat kill. Right, with Mr. Um, Clive. Uh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen, thank you, yeah. And Brittany Murphy, RIP. Yep. And also, also the... Michael Clark Duncan, RIP. Oh, yeah. damn, yeah. And the supremely talented Benicio del Toro, who I think yeah. we all agreed did like a great turn in this movie as well. I think he understood what the tone was, and he just nailed it. He, you know? yeah, I, I, I was convinced that he was sort of ba- vaguely reprising. Was it? Would he be Fear and Loathing performance, or is that later? No, it vibes uh, of that, and it's after Fear and Loathing was ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so like you just get that like sweaty, like just yeah. like over the top. But he's so good. He also has prostheses on, which I didn't. Which were subtler than Marv, so I didn't yeah. quite notice because they wanted every person to look exactly like the comic. Yeah, yeah that's which right. mainly just meant like kind of extending the chin out a little bit and nose. Yeah, and nose. yeah, because also you know Frank Miller's style, especially in this era, was very blocky and minimalist. Mm-hmm. They're like Dick Tracy people almost. Yeah, yeah, square yeah. jaws. And and hey, Benicio del Toro does look like his character in the comic. Mm-hmm. He's so great as just an oily. Fucking sleaze ball, domestic abuser, but also undercover cop. cop but yeah. undercover cop, crooked yeah. cop. Yeah, actually, question here: What would you guys? Uh, how do you guys rank the performances in this movie? Not not every performance, but, but like our three favorites, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's I Mickey Rourke is great as Marv. Um, and for supporting casts, I love Elijah Wood. He's such a fun he doesn't choice say for a Kevin. Word. He doesn't say a word, but just that scene right at the end of the big, or no, not the big, the hard goodbye when he gets his uh, leg stubs eaten by a wolf and mm-hmm. he never That's, screams that was and so he just excru- smiles. When, he's, when he's like, he never stopped smiling, he didn't yeah. scream once. That was creepy. It's very creepy. Elijah Wood was like a perfect casting choice for that. Um, but then, yeah, Benicio does a great job. Uh, I think the female cast members of this movie are done a uh, disservice just not getting the greatest characters to play, but I would say Rosario Dawson of the female cast members does the best job. I, just, I, I think, or has the most fun with the material. She, yeah, she's yeah. one of the people... Like, I would put her alongside uh, Del Toro yeah. and Mickey Rourke in terms of people who whose performances hit the right tone yeah. and size yeah. of this. Like, you Which know, is tough. Bruce to Willis is just kind of doing a tough guy thing. Well, he's doing and his tough guy he's thing. He's doing his tough know? guy thing. But the, the other people, like I was saying, for this kind of style and with the, with the aesthetic and tone mm-hmm. they're going for, you need a big performance. Yeah. As they say in the music industry, right, it like sits in the cut better. Yeah. 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 So, like, you know, you don't have to mix it as much. Yeah. Clive Owen tries, but I feel like he falls a little flat. Well, he's struggling also with, like, a hard boiled American accent. Yeah. And he's just, he's got a thick British accent. He's, he's one of those British people that we can't just do a pitch perfect American accent. No. I, I do like the part where he has the big, the big smooch with Rosario Dawson and then whips his head around and, he, and he's like, and his eight mile long like, bangs. And, yeah. <laughs> and goes, a hard top with a decent engine. And make sure it's got a big trunk. <laughs> <laughs> like that's Those like lines, man. he he nails that line. Yeah, th- th- it is pretty great. I'd say yeah, Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, I- I'm just basically gonna agree with you guys. Although yeah. I will, um, who was fuck? Who was it? I will say oh, also, Rutger Howard deserves a oh, little bit. Oh, he's good of a, in his one scene. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't get a lot, I, like, and he shot only an extreme close up on his face. But he's sweating. But as the like, um, as the murderous, zealous. 
Cardinal. Uh, Cardinal, religious freak. He's really good. Guys, you know who's in this movie that I just looked up? Who? Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec. Oh, oh my God. Where? Wait, what? Wait, wait, he's wait, a wait. character uh, called Bert Schlub. Yeah, he, he, he's one of the, the, the henchmen. Oh, shit. I gotta, like, go. Now I have when? to rewatch the movie. I don't even remember him. that shit. I'm just reading the well, Wikipedia article. I did not notice him when we, I was watching this, though. He's yeah. Bert Schlub. The guy who gets the arrow through him. And then there's the guy from our favorite revival of Twin Peaks, the husband of Audrey, oh, is wait, the guys. shorter guy henchman. Okay, uh, listeners, this will mean nothing to you, but I'm showing <laughs> oh. them the photo of, of Nick Offerman. Damn, Holy he's got shit. that, that's so crazy. He's got, he's that, got a shaved head, like a blonde and, dye and a, beard. a bleach blonde goatee. And that's the comic relief two henchmen that are like having yeah. the overly intellectual dialogue about nothing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. He was good in that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Damn. one of my favorite little moments in the movie is where... That one henchman gets the the arrow through his torso. We're just like, hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, this hurts, guys. Hey, whoa. Right. And, and then I, he gets one through his head. Well, and, and, and through then, his swastika tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, another thing that, uh, and still doesn't. I die. mean, I, I could talk for a while about this, but Frank Miller has always enjoyed playing around with fascist imagery in some ways. Like there is, the, there's the classic character. I can't remember her name. Miko. No, no, no! In in the Dark Knight Returns, oh, oh, oh. His, his you know seminal, right? Future Batman comic, uh, where there's this one, this one like minor bad guy woman who wears who is topless, but then has like swastika pasties on. Yeah, that's pretty. There's great. that character, and but she's also a bad guy. But uh, it's pretty funny. But then you've got this movie where. Uh, of the like the the women of old town, one of them is Miho, played Miho. Uh, yeah, played by Devin Aoki. Devin Aoki from Too Fast and Furious, the one who she shouts so famously, "Move, bitch!" <laughs> in Too Fast and Furious, a movie wow. that also stars Ludacris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so, but but yeah, but she is sort of the 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 ninja woman. She's got her katanas, but she also. Has swastika shaped throwing stars. Yeah, yeah. And and again, you know, and then Frank Miller, uh, Frank Miller would go on to make uh, Three Hundred, which is, in some ways, a celebration of fascism. Oh yeah. And good old Sparta. And the thing is, and obviously, got Xerxes though, which is good. Right. <laughs> and, and it's one of your criteria. Frank Miller has always been one of those people who's <laughs> tough to pin down politically because you know, Dark Knight Returns is also satirizing Reagan. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways, and so, but and he became more conservative, uh, like in he had this also this, Electra, right? He's really isn't he really making fun of of Reagan in that one? Oh, 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 sorry, in Electra Assassin, I thought Electra Assassin. Sorry. I think you were talking about the Electra Saga. No, 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 yeah, Electra Assassin is is very satirical in terms of just like you know government and politics. the military industrial complex and all that. Exactly, but then of course Miller in the early two thousands has a very strong reaction to nine eleven. And then kind of becomes a conservative there for a while and becomes very Islamophobic. And writes Holy Terror. And writes Holy Terror. As a lot of people did, though, at that time. They you know? did. But then also, and, and so, you know, and he got a reputation as being this right-wing guy. Yeah. But then he actually isn't. And I, I remember in an interview from a couple of years ago, he was like, yeah, I'm like a big Hillary Clinton supporter and I voted Democrat in every single presidential election. That's so bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and the thing is, and at this point, I'm, I know none of this is, is proven facts. This, this is all stuff I'm, I'm getting secondhand. But Frank Miller had a weird period in the 2000s. 
a, a very weird period. Mm-hmm. And so, and we've got to talk about it. Okay. Because, so, early, like, right away, in, in like, 2000, I think in 2000, I think, uh, he comes out with the sequel to The Dark Knight Returns called The Dark Knight Strikes Again, which was one of the most anticipated comics in decades because Dark Knight Returns is a masterpiece. It's usually talked about alongside Watchmen as one of the great comics of all time. Mm-hmm. And he comes out with a sequel that is people don't love, but then also apparently the final chapter of it, it's, it's, there's three uh, books to it. He heavily rewrote after 9-11 and, and had a very big reaction to that. And so he makes this big Batman comic that's very weird and not really what anyone wanted. I love it. And then... I haven't read it. Uh, and then, of course, and then he works for a while. He t- Holy Terror, which is his comic about a Batman-esque superhero <laughs> just killing Al-Qaeda and hating Muslims, was originally going to be called Holy Terror Batman and be a Batman comic until DC was like, uh, we don't want our intellectual property that's off brand doing this <laughs> and so he took it somewhere else and just like basically cut the ears off the character's costume <laughs> but then and, and it, you know miller famously he, he wrote this this like editorial in in some newspaper uh taught like complaining about how how terrible the occupy wall street people were and he mm. really just seemed like a he was like a bitter cranky old conservative yeah and and then if you look at just frank miller visually and how just hit the how, man you you we have to talk about this pull up some pictures i will because his like weight also loss, listeners right? pull up some and pictures. his yeah okay, guys google this because it, it, it's something that, that you should just check out so frank miller made sin city in two, 2005 and then it was 2008 that off of the success of sin city he got the opportunity to solo direct a movie and he made a passion project of his he adapted the famous Will Eisner comic, The Spirit, which was a sort of pulpy, fun, like adventurous, crime-fighting comic that had been around since, I believe, the, the 40s or 50s. And Miller had famously been really close with Will Eisner before he died, and he was like a hero of his. And he made The Spirit into basically a weird, like another Sin City. He, hmm. did, he shot it the same way as Sin City. It's the same, like, black and white and then bits of red style. Right. It was a massive departure from what the comic was. The movie was a box office bomb. Critics hated it. And Miller didn't direct a movie again until he co-directed Sin City 2. But I remember in 2014, I was at San Diego Comic-Con, and that was the one year where I said to my friends, you know what? Once in our life, we should have the Hall H experience, so the giant hall where they do the giant movie presentations that you have to sleep outside on the ground to get into. <laughs> and we're like, let's do it. And one of the presentations that day was the panel for Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Mm-hmm. They brought out Robert Rodriguez, the cast, and Frank Miller. Frank Miller at the time was like 59 years old. Okay. And he looked 80. He yeah. had to be... A s- helped out he like hobbled across the stage he looked like he was about to keel over and die at any moment <laughs> anytime he was going to speak everyone kind of got quiet and looked at him as he had to like work up the energy to just utter a crazy, sentence yeah. and it was so sad to witness and then i i heard from just people i knew in the comic industry saying like yeah frank miller is like dying of alcohol poisoning and Jesus. and and that, this is a thing that I've heard multiple times. People, it, even when people talk about like in like in the comic industry, you know, 
Frank Miller's weird mid 2000s work like Holy Terror. That's like, like, yeah, but you have to remember, Frank was drinking a lot in those days. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, if you Google a picture of Frank Miller 2012 (laughs) and then Frank Miller 2014, he has aged 30 years (laughs) in those two years. And I have not been able to find any official record or any information about him having cancer or anything like that. Like, like anything like that, but he looks like he is undergoing intense chemotherapy. It is really sad to witness. And thankfully, in the past couple of years, he he still looks older than he is, but he looks better. And he's he, as I've heard interviews with him, he speaks more clearly. And so Frank Miller, also he uh, and I know in like the early two thousands, he and his wife of like thirty years, Lynn Varley, had like a messy divorce. He had like a falling out. And that's then reconciled with Klaus Janssen, who was his closest artistic collaborator for decades. Right, yeah. And Klaus Janssen was, was the inker on all his his Daredevil work and on Dark Knight Returns. And I would love to, to have more information about this, because hmm. not but not a lot of it is, is on the record and, and public information, but... Frank Damn, Miller, dude. Frank Miller had a had he a looks like ET had a rough past twenty years, <laughs> so and 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 it, and that strangely enough happened with his greatest mainstream success, co-directing a big successful movie and yeah. getting to direct like, I believe the Spirit was like a sixty million dollar movie that he mm-hmm. got to direct. It got like Samuel L. Jackson and like a bunch of movie yeah, stars. Yeah, I remember in it. when it came out. Yeah, and no one saw it. Yeah. But yeah, I remember like, when it came out. I, I don't. E- I don't even know. I remember that it did. Like I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just Frank Miller is an interesting figure, and, and had I guess at the time that Sin City was, or soon after that, a very very dark. Yeah, personal and, and, period and, and, and I don't life, know the specifics of it, but I will never forget seeing him on that stage and just being like, Jesus Christ, what happened to Frank hey, Miller? Buddy, you doing all right? What's going on, big guy? Jeez, yeah. that's crazy. I know he was fifty-nine, going on ninety. Like Stan Lee looked looked more energetic <laughs> and youthful than him. Hey, everybody, fifty-nine right. going on ninety. Can you imagine if that was the new, the next uh, thirteen going on thirty? Thirteen going on thirty. Like what? Why am I forgetting that actress's name? Jennifer Garner. Her? Yeah, the new Jennifer Garner movie, just fifty-nine going on ninety, and she's still smiling and like walking across the front cover of it. She just—it's just her intense old yeah. age makeup. <laughs> uh, anyway. So we should we should wrap up the rest of the, yeah. the story, but the like, Clive Owen part anyway. I don't think we fully said. So it he he teams up with the with the the old town prostitutes to like take down a bunch of crooked cops and mobsters. Because the thing is that when uh, Benicio del Toro's character, I forget who, roughs up one of the uh, Jackie boy, one of the waitresses or something. No, he he ru- he, he threatens kind of like Rory Gilmore, yeah. who 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 is the the innocent young prostitute, yeah. right? But who then rats them out. Well, okay, so they kill they kill Benicio del Toro uh because he is getting a little handsy on Rory Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh then they find out after having killed him and his friends that he was a cop, therefore destroying the established détente that was uh, there to like so that the cops would protect Old Town from all the other evil dudes that lived outside of it in exchange for like free sex and 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 stuff like that. Right. Um, so now that they've broken the truce, so now right. they're like all if, if they find this body here, uh, all hell's gonna break loose and we're going to lose our our unofficial protection. So they go to bury it. 
the body in the tar pits in the tar and then a bunch of the tar like, pits. like Irish like IRA mercenaries show, show up, up right. and then sh- try to kill Clive Owen because Roy Gilmore it turns out as soon as Ratted that happened them rad them out because she found like an angle in which to uh, extricate herself from and her mom's safety from kinda. Old Town yeah. yeah so that's that's like her plan mm-hmm. um so then, then it's just Clive Owen, like essentially, like getting the shit beat out of him and trying to get this body and and, and get this head uh, d- disposed of, so that so that no one can pin any of it on. This is one of the best parts of the movie. The best part is Clive Owen is also insane. Everyone's kind of insane. Everyone's takes pills or needs pills or something. <laughs> like all three of them, like because yeah. Bruce Willis has angina. And then, uh, and then, you know, Mickey Rourke has something, some sort of untreated schizophrenia that he takes a bunch of pills for. Yeah. And then Clive Owen also has schizophrenia. Like, he, well, Clive Owen clearly just has like a murderous he's just sort mad, of almost a like bloodlust in his heart, which is why he loves Rosario Dawson's character. Who also, yeah, you find out my war has like an intensely and also, violent. One one kind of weird thing. I know everyone is like. Uh, if in some sort of moral gray area, yeah. But Clive Owen is introduced uh, that his, he's now he's the new boyfriend of Brittany Murphy, R.I.P. And uh, and and it, it's there that he encounters her sort of like old fling, the guy uh, Benicio del, del Toro. But so he's dating Brittany Murphy, and then she just disappears. As then he just like reconnects and and hooks up with his old girlfriend Rosario Dawson. Right. And so I'm just like, what's yeah. the but she ignites the fire in him. Yeah, but poor Brittany Murphy. It's just like she's just like a waitress at the, at, at the barn. And, yeah, she's and getting beat up by her. Ditching her. Uh, well, she's getting beat up by Benicio del Toro, her old boyfriend, and then ditched by her new one. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. like she really has the most thankless like situation. And they never go back to that. You're yeah. right. It's but weird. The, but there's the the scene special guest directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, which is which where, you can tell is him. Yeah, and and it's also I was saying how a lot of this movie feels like a montage, and this is like a proper scene mm-hmm. where. Uh, Clive Owen is driving the car, and they've they've stuffed all these dead bodies in the trunk that have been chopped up. But the only place to, that there was room for Del Toro's body is in the passenger seat, and he's got this gun barrel stuck in his head. And <laughs> and, and, and there's there's a good line where uh, Devin, Devin Aoki like cuts off his head, but doesn't entirely sever it. And then he he's like, she didn't quite decapitate him. She turned him into a Pez dispenser. Yeah. And so his head is like flopping around yeah. and he's like hallucinating Benito del Toro still like talking to him. But, yeah. but when his head like flops up or down, his, <laughs> his voice changes. A bit. It's, it's fun. It's really yeah. funny. He's like, Oh, what do you do? <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Good on you, Benicio. And Benicio really, actor. really swings for the fences. He's mm-hmm. hamming it up. He always it's, does. It's great. He's bugging his eyes out. He's lolling his tongue around. He's all sweaty. He's, he's so great. good at like being a physical presence, even though he's a corpse. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that ends up with a big shootout, and then we return to that yellow bastard, where Bruce Willis gets out of jail way way later, and and turns By out being that- a pin, he he agrees finally to take. The blame, the, the blame for the murder, because essentially, like he, the 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 senator's son or whatever was the guy, was the pedophile murderer, and right. uh, Bruce Willis, against the wishes of crooked cop Michael Madsen and everyone in the in the force, uh, righteously blasts uh, his the the senator's son's dick off, no, 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 <laughs> and no. his ears and shit, and like his ears. Like, I take away his weapons. Both of both them. of them, blast him in the dick, yeah, and then he, but then the senator's son, who. 
bet on the whatever money they spent on plastic surgery. Oh, man. Because so he turns into a big, smelly, yellow guy. <laughs> <laughs> With the big ol' ears. He's like, I got all kinds of plastic surgery. As you can see, there were some side effects. Yeah, it's like, like oh, what are man. you talking about? Side effects? How about whole effects? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking whole body is wrong. Yeah, and we bad. should really skim through this because uh, we're like running late on this episode. Okay, all right, okay. But, but yeah, basically he like reconnects with 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 innocent little Nancy, who's, <laughs> who's now a stripper, a sexy Jessica Alba, and maybe they would fuck it, potentially, yeah, it's, which is weird. weird. This may like be that. uncomfortable yeah, because yeah. he's way older than her. But it kind of yeah. makes sense in terms of like psychology. She has a daddy complex. He's the only male figure that ever protected her. So it, maybe, but I don't know. It does, yeah. but well, he well, rips his dick off. He rips his dick. Yeah. <laughs> and he, anyway, the yellow guy comes back and also like spurts yellow blood whenever he gets oh, shot, yeah. and it's great. And then gets his dick ripped off, and, and it, his head and, punched into the floor until it's. Pulp and bones, yeah, some wet bone chunks, and then and then Bruce Willis shoots himself in the head so that, so, so that Nancy will be will be safe, and uh, and and he just can't be used against her. What a good and, guy! And then, and then we get our epilogue. Josh where, where Josh Hardin, he comes back just to Josh send us is off. Back. And then oh, did you guys Josh. have a fun time in Sin City? Bye. I'm Josh. <laughs> and then where's Josh? And then we, but we, we see Rory Gilmore, our, yeah. Alexis Bledel, who is actually the actress's name. Um, who is, I think, kind of miscast in this movie. She, I think she's not. She works as like the the person who wouldn't psychologically be able to take the living in Old Town. I I, I just can't. I agree with her line delivery. I thought well, super she's not a good actress. Any, really. any of those or she's things. gotten better, but because yeah. Handmaid's Tale, she's pretty good. But mm-hmm. and but so but yeah, so she's in the hospital because she had like broken her arm, and she's yeah. like talking to her mom. She's gonna go go home, uh, you know, and it looks like she got out of this whole situation unscathed and she gets into an elevator and who's there in the elevator with her? It's a doctor. He's got, a, got his, uh, you know, doctor's jacket on. Dr. Hartnett. His stethoscope. <laughs> and, it, to see and, you. And, it, and it's Josh. And, and he just looks at her and goes, Becky? And, you know, you're supposed to be as the audience member like, what? Why would he know her name? And then and he's got remember. a mustache. Yeah, he's got a mustache and a little goatee. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of what he rocks now. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is now Josh Hartnett man, not Josh Hartnett boy, <laughs> because he's a doctor. Um, and then, and then he reaches into in his jacket and he thinks he's going to get a gun. Takes out a pack of cigarettes and he goes, Officer. Care for a smoke? Because yeah. as you know, based on the first scene, his MO is making his targets fall in love with him for a brief second before he for blasts their face <laughs> off. And then she uh, is on the phone with her mom and says, Mom, can I call you back? Hangs up the phone, cuts to black. Well, the, the last shot is her face, and then you hear his voiceover saying, was it oh. like... like Any tor- t- in corner Sin- you like, turn? Like, like walk down the right back alley in Sin City. Oh, yeah. oh no, no, here we go. You can turn the right corner in Sin City, and you can find anything. And then the salesman goes, in real life in the scene, Becky, care for a smoke? And Becky on the phone goes, I love you too, Mom. Hangs up, and then the screen goes black, and then the salesman's VO again anything right so you you know she dying and then like and the squealing (laughs) saxes come in over the end credits and that's a slight maybe that's a blade runner slight blade runner nod and uh but 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 josh josh gets the the opening closing lines yeah and and again i've said this before on other episodes i will say this again I think Josh works well for the a noir kind of setting and protagonist. I think he has the right look and and voice for this kind of thing. Oh yeah, and I think he fits in really nicely. And it's also nice that 
every other man in this movie is really grizzled yeah. and like hardened <laughs> and their voices are like for as low as they can. And it's nice to have just like smooth job. Yeah, it's just like there. jazz after listening to some death metal. Yeah. yeah. Two he's hours. he's good at his now. job. He's only in this movie for four minutes. Yeah, this total. is the least amount of Josh that in, in ratio Minimal to film Josh. that we'll ever do. Less than, less than town and country, honestly. Yeah. He's in town and country more than this movie. Yes. He plays yeah. like a very, but very he makes a bigger impact in this movie. Yeah, yeah he does. Yes. Yeah, he's he's great. All right, I, I think he, I, I think him. he's good. But guys, any any final thoughts about Sin City? I liked Sin City. It was fun. I just thought, like you know, by the time I got to, like I said, the the dip rip, dick ripping scene, uh, I was like a little fatigued I from the even, amount of. I could I use like, some more oh, dick boy. ripping. Yeah, like 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 more dicks could have been ripped. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yeah. again, you might as well just go the just rip all the dicks off. But, yeah, but in general, everyone's like, dick like, gets like, ripped I can't, off. I can't dislike a movie where a big old yellow dick just gets ripped up, barehanded, ripped off. Yeah, and with, that's with some good his mitts. Or no, that's not mitts because that's uh, that's Marv. You know, yeah. like like his Bruce, paws. Bruce Willis has mitts. Bruce Willis has mitts. He does. We they all, all have mitts. Yeah, we all got mitts. I don't know. It's fine. I it, I had a fun time at the movies. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, also. Got, it's like, like I said, I I think it's kind of like like a relic of its time. It's yeah. like it doesn't entirely hold up, but it is interesting. For it was like a, it was a risk. It was an experiment, uh, and it succeeds for the most part. And, and it's but, but I'll I'll never forgive it for being the movie that led to the creation of the like Snyder obsessed DC fanboys. Oh yeah, and no I, one could be prescient I'll, enough. I'll, to... I'll never and and Josh, uh, I'm gonna hold that against you forever. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, kind of one note, but it's fun if you just are aware going in what you that you want this. Experience. But also, and again, props to Josh for taking that risk and doing that test scene and like helping make this thing happen. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Josh, yeah. Josh, come on the podcast. Yeah. I have a heart on. Do you guys have heart ons? I've got a heart on. Sure, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we've got a hardigan on. <laughs> hardigan because Bruce Willis plays hardigan. <laughs> oh, nice, dude. Nice. Yeah. Make it, we should make He's it more thematic Bruce to the movie. Yeah. Each one. But, but so here, uh, custom. Let's wrap it up. Uh, okay. Where can we find everyone on the internet? You can watch the videos that I make with these guys at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Follow me on all the social medias at Patrick H. Willems. Yeah, and you can find me online on Twitter <laughs> at uh, JR Torpy. And you can find me in real life if you try hard enough. So that's a challenge. Yeah, and maybe we'll dox Jake at some point. <laughs> and Matt? Uh, you can find me at matt.sucks on Instagram and uh, Matthew Torpy at Matthew Torpy on Twitter and uh, trickscomic.tumblr.com. I got a, a full comic on there. Read that. Check um, it out. And, yeah. uh, and and tweet it at the podcast with questions, comments, concerns, thoughts at all. We'd love to hear from you. Um, uh, what at, on on Twitter at heartheartnet. And send us some emails at uh, heartheartnet at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll read them. Maybe. Yeah, and also... Guys, if you've got a few spare seconds, head on over to iTunes and uh, rate, review, and subscribe because those matter, and we love the reviews. Can I take us out by reading the stupid thing that's on Jake's mug he's drinking coffee out of? Yes. Oh, this is, you mean stupid? You mean inspirational? I mean inspirational. We'll leave Read you with it. some words of inspiration. Okay, guys, we love you. We're your friends, and here's what we'll leave you with. Jake, can you angle it a little bit towards me? <clears throat> this stupid mug says, To the world... You may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Okay, guys? And that's about love. And that's about loving. Good night, everyone. Bye.